Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Stu Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam And it might be a bye week in Whitecaps land, but we don't take any time off. We're here to entertain you, hopefully, and bring you another fun-filled episode of this show. Hopefully you've had a chance to check out our first episode of our, our game show, our quiz, pulled off at halftime, went up on YouTube on Saturday. Need more folk to watch it. That's the bottom line. It's very good. I think it's a fun-filled two hours of football fun, just because I like the alliteration. But check it out, and yeah, if you want to be part of it, if you want to suggest things more for it, let us know, because we had, we had a blast doing it, Zach, didn't we? It was a great time. Um, like I said, uh, I believe at the end of it, <clears throat> despite the result. Yes. No, it was, it, seriously, it was a good time, and like, I probably should have prepared for it a little bit, a little bit more, and I probably should have uh, double-checked my answers a couple times, but aside from Aside from those things holding holding me back and my own limited uh, knowledge holding me yeah, back, yeah, I definitely i we won't spoil the result if anyone hasn't watched it. But i i i had you pegged for for doing better than you did. But we're gonna start off this show the way that we start off all the weekend shows with the gift that keeps on giving. It's Steve's Christmas present to us. He gave us each a box of twenty eleven upper deck trading cards. We've been opening a pack on every show. We've been putting them together in our best team, our best 11. They're coming and going. And then we'll we'll have a vote, actually. The next time we do a, a live video, we will do a vote as to who's got the best team. Zach won the initial battle with the best team, I think. I, I'm quite hopeful that I, I've overtaken that. I've got a potent strike force with Wando and Landon Donovan. What could be better than that? My midfield's still letting me down a bit. Hopefully... We get something good in this pack. So let's get straight to it. I don't know what pack this is. I've lost count. But you want me to go first? If you've got yours open, let's go first. We got midfielder uh, Pat Phelan from the Revolution of New England. Oh, oh! I, I've got a, I, this. Is a good pack. This is vintage 2011 MLS. We've got from DC United. I believe you 
already have him. It's Steve Cronin. No, I have Sam Cronin. Oh, two Cronins. Now, Michael, I have something that I think you got in your first pack, and yours is definitely more exciting than mine, but this is still very nice. I have received finally my MLS materials card. Oh, congratulations. You have received a trading card with player's name, game used soccer memorabilia. The memorabilia has been certified as to uh, to us as having been used in an official MLS game. We hope you enjoy this piece of soccer history. Soccer history. Yeah, because I got Dwayne D. Rosario. I, I don't beat that. As we continue to keep you as close as we as you can get, enjoy your memorabilia card. And then the upper deck president signed that side. But mine is uh, from the jersey of uh, DC United's Andy Nahar. Oh, yeah, that that's a little bit of a letdown. Could be worse, I guess. It also it also means I get less cards in this pack. Yeah, you only get four or something, don't you? Because it's got uh, the jersey thing in it. Well, I, I'm now making... I don't think this guy's in your team. And if he's not, he's now going into my f- midfield. It's the legend from Real Salt Lake. It's Kyle Beckerman. Oh! He's not yeah. in your team, is he? No, I have his buddy, Javi, Javi Morales. Oh, so I've got I've got Kyle in my team. So how many cars have you got left? I only got two left. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll do another couple here. Oh, now, this is another midfielder. I don't think I'll include him. It's Justin Mapp, Philadelphia oh. Union. Uh, I have, uh, from the Chicago Red Stars, Jillian Lloyden. Her, I do not know. She looks like a keeper. She's a keeper, yeah. She, oh, yeah, she's definitely a keeper. That's what I say to my wife. I'll, I'll do two more, because you've only got one left. It's a yeah. Portland Timber midfield defender. I might have a look at my team. I might put him in because I, I always I quite like this guy. It's Rodney Wallace. A good one there. And my other card that we'll give you just now is a defender from New England Revolution, Kevin Alston. Nice. I uh, My last one is also a keeper, also from the Portland Timbers. I think you might have this one. It's uh, Troy Perkins. I think I do, yeah. Well, my last card for this week, he's not a keeper. In any way, shape, or form. He did become a Christian missionary, though. It's Vancouver Whitecaps. Jonathan Leathers. Whatever happened to Jonathan Leathers? Well, he's here in my hand right now. Exciting. We've got that over with. We will update our teams soon and let you know what our 11s are. But let's get into the football chat. Now, we've got a packed show ahead of you. We're going to talk Whitecaps. We're going to talk MLS and we're going to talk Canada because the national team are preparing for their World Cup games. It's been a busy week of MLS action, but the Whitecaps, they did they did play a game. We'll come to that in the next part, but it's their bye week. They've got 27 days off between MLS games and then it's the international break after this bye week. So it's the end of phase one really, for the Whitecaps. They've played their seven matches. All the other teams have now caught up with them. They have finished this Phase 1 in 10th place in MLS West, just two points back of the playoff places. Mar DeSantis had targeted being in or around the playoff spots by the time we got to the stage, and that's exactly what has happened. 
I'm sure he, like many others, would have preferred them to be in the playoff places, but they're, they're within touching distance. They're equally, though, within touching distance of bottom. They're just one point off last place. And we'll, we'll come to all that when we do our MLS review in part three. But what I like to do at the end of all these phases is have a, a sit down with Mark DeSantis and just look back at the season so far, the good, the bad, the ugly, what might be to come. So go make yourself a hot beverage, grab your favourite biscuit and enjoy our chat with Whitecaps head coach, Mark DeSantis. So thanks as always, Mark, for, for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Michael. I've always liked to kind of speak to you at the end of phases. And I, I know like speaking to you right after games is never a great thing because you've never had a chance to look at the stuff and review everything and, and really take things in. So I kind of just want to break down the this first phase, the first seven games. First thing, though, it's like it's a 27-day break. In some ways, it feels that the season had just started and now you've got this big layoff. Do you welcome it as the chance to, to work and stuff and improve things or is it annoying to you at this point? No, I think uh, as a club where we are right now, uh, also decisions we have to take on on players and things like that, it, it's good the break for us right now. Uh, it's also good when you're away from home to have at least you know inside the 27 days we have four days that we could yeah. actually get away from everything I think that's important for for the staff and the players uh, and it also gives you the opportunity to work on a second uh, structure that we want for the team you know we build the team in a 4-2-3-1-4-4-2 right um, we want it to go more towards the the 4-2-3-1 with a player more underneath uh, Kava, uh, but we we had to where we were with the roster to play more in a four four two, where we had more vertical players. Um, but we feel that with the ten games coming in six weeks, right? We're gonna have a period of six weeks, ten games. We have to make sure that we have another a system in place to have the players being adapted to play with both uh, because of the number of games. Sometimes we won't have every player available and it's not good to force a system sometimes when you don't have all the right players available. Um, and another system that could help us in away games, you know, uh, in more tough uh, games where they, they we have to, to play a little bit more under pressure at times. So um, we'll work in two systems. The first one that you saw during the first seven games and another system uh, right now. And that gives us time uh, to address it. We started this week. We'll use it in our exhibition game tomorrow. And it's going to give us also some clips and database for when we're back from our four or five days off. The first seven games, seven points on the board, still in touch with the playoff places, which I, I know was like your, your minimum Kind of requirement that, that you were looking for from the team. Obviously, you'd like to be in the top seven. I'll, I'll be honest, it's kind of what I expected looking at the the schedule when it came out, everything that you'd been through, the players that you were missing, etc, etc. I thought seven points was maybe where you would be right now. It's not quite how I thought you'd get the seven points, but I mean, is this about what you were expecting? 
Michael, I was expecting 10, you know, when we worked everything and starting the, the first part of the season, I was expecting 10. Uh, there's things that I had to live to understand how difficult they, they were. Uh, it's been really hard for us to play in a neutral field uh, when we have a home game and to play away being really away when we have an away game, you know, and uh, maybe on TV, on TV and when you're watching in Vancouver, you don't go through the emotions of a game like Minnesota where you felt a crowd of Minnesota pushing the team or sporting Kansas City or Houston. And when those games come all one after the other, it's hard. I still think that football-wise we were able um, to compete very well in Minnesota in, in Houston. We could have gotten results in Minnesota and in Houston, uh, not in Kansas City. They were much better than us. They were stronger than us. They deserved fully the three points. Um, but, you know, we felt that it was short Minnesota and Houston. I felt that one of those two games could have been three points and then, you know, you're with 10. Um, what I felt is that overall, apart from those three games in a row on the road, um, that our team was in the route that I wanted. Then these three games, uh, it hurts a little bit because it's, three losses in a row, but it's also three away games and it's also two of the three games are by one goal. So you have to evaluate everything very well. What I, what I was sure about though, was that we would finish the run of seven games very close to a playoff spot. You know, I think there are, there are games tomorrow, but there's teams that are going to end seven games, six points. Uh, there are teams in the league that lose three in a row and four in a row and have less points. You know, it's just a very hard league and our division is difficult. But what makes it even more difficult is we have a division inside our division due to COVID, right? And our division inside our division, for me, I don't have any problems of saying that is by far, by far, the hardest in MLS. I think, though, the Minnesota game, I came away from that thinking, and you said yourself post-game, most complete performance of the season, yet you, you walk away with a loss. But then, a couple of days later, completely different feeling because it was possibly the worst performance of the season against a very good KC side. But with such a good start, and then finishing with those three losses... I know it's kind of deflated the, the mood a little bit in the fan base because it feels that it's in a little bit of a slump. Is that the mood in the camp or are you more optimistic no. than that? No, no, no. The group is good. Uh, the group is confident. The group understands how difficult it is, uh, what we're going through, and they want to fight through it. But uh, that what we have in uh, the locker room is frustration from the ability that and the belief that we should have had a little bit more from those two games, uh, especially Minnesota and Houston. So there's frustration from the staff and players of not getting out of there with points. Looking at the positives then from the first seven games, what do you see as, as the brightest points off it? For, for me, 
the exciting possibility that Cava, Dahomey and Caicedo can have when, when they're clicking, it, it looks one of the most formidable attacks in, in the division on their day. I mean, yeah. is that one of the, the biggest positives for you? What, what else would you think is a, a positive? Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you more points. Uh, positives is us reading uh, and looking, when we look at the numbers, uh, our possession in the majority of the games against the opponents was positive, apart from that uh, Kansas City game. Uh, the ability and the growth of as a team in offensive both defensive and offensive uh, set plays. Uh, there's a growth from the pass. Uh, you spoke about players in transition, uh, like Kava, like Dajo, and like Deber, bringing a lot and bringing an excitement. We did a lot of good things when we defended set. We defend much further from our box. You know, there's a growth from the team in that um, when we compare with the pass. Um, but where there's also negatives, you know, like the uh, we defend when we're set. It means when we're we get organized right away, then it's hard to break us down. What's not been good is in transition when we lose the ball. We're a team that uh, is unbalanced right now, and some the majority of the goals that we took are in situations of unbalancement. Uh, so we go from a controlled situation. To not control anymore. Uh, what's negative is I feel that between the midfield and the attack, there's not, uh, we're not filled yet there. And it's a problem that we've had now for a while. And that could be filled. It feels a little bit better when we're in a three-man midfield because then those two number eights are able to get higher in those pockets. When we're with Kava and Dajo up top, they're more vertical. And because those spaces are not filled, Dajo tends, uh, Kava tends to come too deep. And then he's not in his preferred and most comfortable role. So these are all things that we assess and we look at. Of course, that scoring and run of play, scoring and opportunities, because a lot of these games like Houston and, and Minnesota, if we're up 1-0, even Colorado, if we're up 1-0, it gives us the ability to now control the game better and even uh, play more in the mistake of the opponent. Um, so yeah, we, we've evaluated everything. We think that there's a lot that we learn from the team and there's a lot that we feel we could grow. So that's it. Yeah, I mean, getting that goal from open play, at least it stops everyone asking you about that after every single press conference that, that you have. But, I mean, we, we've spoken about it before. You kind of mentioned it uh, after the last game. It's like, I don't care where the goals come from as, as long as you get goals and like a win is a win, however. But it does feel that big gap, as you say, between the midfield and the attack. And obviously the number 10 is the big thing that we've talked about or the attacking A or whatever you're looking for. Do you think that gets done before this window closes or are we looking in the sun? I, I never lied to you or to anybody that it's a concern that I have and that we work very hard in the club every day to have it. 
to fill it. And again, what I could tell you is that we're, we're working very hard and we're aware of that in the club. And of course, that uh, as a coach, you know how much I want that to be filled. You know, when you have certain positions that you're looking for and you're not able to sign them yet for, for, for many different reasons. Also, the situation we're in right now, being in Utah and you know, it's not it's not as easy to just convince guys to do this. Okay? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So there's a lot of factors. It's not only going out there and go and get one. Um, but then oh, uh, uh, over this, you have a player that would probably, uh, it, it's fair to say that Ali would have had two assists or one play or, and then those two goals, Maybe give us two extra goals. Maybe give us ten points instead of seven, right? Yeah. So, and that—that's when you don't have a certain position arriving, or you—you still have space in the roster to fill with one or two players. But on that, you have a player that is not even here and never arrive here and doesn't have his visa. It, it, it makes it harder because we're not a club that has too much luxury to miss players and to to win games. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's difficult. So for sure that just to to finish with this offensive midfielder, uh, I could guarantee you that it's something that it's in the head of everybody. Uh, a second forward that plays very well between lines, or a more of an offensive midfielder or if it's a very good number eight that is more of a box-to-box, more towards a number 10 that could play in a three-man midfield also, you know. But there's no doubt that there's spaces that our forwards don't have the ability to fill that need to be filled on the, on the field. And then you can't just put a player there. Uh, you know what I mean? I can't take a guy from the roster that doesn't have these characteristics and put him there because then he's out of position. He's not comfortable. He can't deal with the situation well. I think the thing with Ali, and I don't know how aware folk are, like he, he's led the team in assists with the, for the last two seasons. So you, you've missed that, especially on the left side. As good as Christian Gutierrez is as a defender, and he's pretty good going forward he doesn't give you what Ali gives so it feels as well that there's maybe a gap on that left side the, the longer things you go saw, on you it, saw last year sorry you saw against the Galaxy and another game even against Sporting Kansas City you saw uh, Ali also playing with Guti oh yeah that's what I was that's what I was meaning yeah because it's like you're missing that up that left side and yeah R- Rusty has done a role there that is not 100% is his main role, right? But Rusty has been a fantastic team guy, always available, always when you need. Uh, but of course, that when it's not his more natural spot, I would say. Uh, what I say is when you played seven games and, and the frustrating, I'm not very frustrated with the players that are not here. Because the players that we didn't sign, and I don't know, I don't know 
they're not our players yet. I, I think we have to keep working and be patient. I'm more frustrated with the players that are ours, belong to us. We paid them and they're not here, like Ali. Yes. That's frustrating because you always feel that maybe, you know, Ali has the ability in a free kick, uh, the ability in a cross, the ability in, to bring something. So, of course, that if he's not here, um, you, you, you miss a player. And again, we don't have the luxury as a club to just miss guys. I was going to ask this to Axel when I, I speak to him next. I don't know if you can even answer this. It's can I guess it kind of puts you on the spot a little bit, but do you expect Ali to join the team? Because the longer this goes on, it kind of feels it's best for both parties if you just kind of part ways. I, I, we never spoke right now about parting ways. Did we speak as a club about possible offers to Ali from other clubs? Yes. Some were even uh, public, like not, not offers, but I would say like maybe interest of clubs yeah. in Ali. Yeah, that, that's public, so I'm not lying. But I, 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 I promise you that right now, we never spoke as parting ways. We're frustrated uh, from, from because the visa is totally out of our control. And uh, Ali right now is with the national team. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know what's next. I, 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 I plan everything right now as he will join us eventually. If now in July or August something happens that he, he, he goes somewhere else, that I, I don't know right now, honestly. That's fair. Talking of frustrations... My biggest frustration from watching the team, and I'm pretty sure it's one of yours as well, defensively, and not just from the defenders, but the midfielders and everyone doing defensive roles, the amount of goals that's been given up to players standing stationary, not just watching the ball it feels, not tracking the runners, not reacting quicker to when a guy in the box moves quicker to get to a rebound or whatever, that must be just driving you nuts. Yeah, but I want to answer you so I'm very clear on the uh, and the. I'm just taking something here to answer you very clearly on on the goals. So I'm fair with the ones that drove me nuts. Okay. Yeah, I was looking at some of them again before yeah. we did this chat as well. <laughs> so, so one zero no, the one against Toronto that we're arguing about the foul. And they play the foul quick. And we have our back turns. That one drove me nuts. Yeah. Okay. That one drove me nuts. The the second of Toronto then, because I think they're very lucky. Yeah. It hits Baldwin's face. Diego Rubio free kick didn't drive me nuts. No. <laughs> a fantastic free kick. Then we played Montreal. Against Minnesota drove me nuts. Because we're arguing about a foul. We're asking them to put the ball out. We don't close down the, 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 the cross from Lod. That, that upset me. How we closed down the, the, that cross that wasn't good. And then how we just then uh, we just in the box. It's 2v1. And we then we were not well positioned. We... Don't look at what's in between us. Very upset that goal. 
uh, again, sporting. The first one of Shalowy is a transition that it's a ball from Max that could have done better. The penalty shot, I don't think it's a penalty shot. The only reason I, I didn't speak about it is because I thought Kansas City really deserved it. So, And uh, the one, the third goal was not good, came from a throw-in. Yeah. That was not good. Against Houston, the first one uh, was the one that they won the ball from maybe a foul on Cava and deals to a transition. Okay, these are goals that happen even in Champions League. The second one... That that was with the Ruti unmarked at the back post. And yeah, what, no. what drove me nuts about that was yeah, no, that happened one. three minutes later and they, they still left him unmarked. Yeah, no, then we were able to address it at halftime. Uh, the thing is we're, we're in a zone mix, okay, on corner kicks. So Ruti is not supposed to be marked. What's supposed to happen is that our player on the post, when the ball travels towards Ruti, could turn and go there. So that goal uh, is a goal that we had to do better. It happened. But then uh, in the second half, if you see, it didn't happen because we were able to address it and bring it. What happens is that this is the first goal that we concede on a corner kick this year or on, on on a... Wide free kick. We haven't conceded on set plays, only if you want to call the Rubio goal a set play. Yes, it's a free kick, but, you know, it's not about positioning. Uh, the goals, uh, the it's the only one we conceded on a corner kick. Our wide free kick was the one of Uruti. And then when you play against a men marking, if when you play against a zonal defending or a zonal mix, that is our case, you always give an area away. Every team that defends on a set play gives an area away. And I thought we did a good job of covering the areas. Of course, that after that goal, that Houston did a good job to see a weakness there, and we weren't able to to adjust it quick enough. Of course, that I don't think that's something that's going to happen again, or if it happens again, the opponent has to be very lucky. Looking at strengthening the team, there's a, a young homegrown guy that's just won the Mac Herman Trophy, Glory Amanda. Whitecaps still have his rights. Is he somebody that's in the club's plans or is that more up to the player as to what he wants his future to be? No, it's, I think, about everybody, you know, uh, for sure that we're very aware of the players that are, uh, that are in our radar and players that we know uh, and we're looking to reinforce our team 100%. So I know this name came up and that we we spoke about and we were looking at. Uh, it came also from our scouts and from the club that because the club knows him well. But how I'm going to answer this question is we want to reinforce the team. We want to become better in the roster. So we're looking at it, every option that will allow us to to become better. You don't know when you're coming back here yet, but you know you're going to be in RSL for at least July now as well. Yeah. The games that's coming up, it looks brutal. Um, you're going to be missing guys probably away at the Gold Cup. Look brutal. That's... 100%. I mean, do you feel in the hot seat? Do you feel the pressure on? Yes, of course. 
But you know what? I'm at peace that uh, the only thing I could do is my best. It's my best. I could only do my best. That's true. That's all anyone can do. <laughs> Thanks so yeah. much for your time, Mark. Always Thank appreciate it. Uh, good luck. Enjoy time back with your family as well. I know you're going to look forward to that. Thank you very much. That's Take care, Michael. Mark DeSantis there, not as as upbeat as he's maybe been in some of our other chat, chats before, but very honest uh, about a lot of things and a lot to unpack from that. And we're going to do just that in the next part, and we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. When ships were bulges like the men who sell them And if they show us disrespect we tire them up and fail them Often in the low degree and often men are steel They'd make you off the plank alone or haul you around the keel Christa, Jolly Roger Christa, Jolly Roger Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artists of the Month for May. The month is coming to an end, and so is the residency for the iconic band of my childhood, Adam and the Ants. That was a song from their second album, Kings of the Wild Frontier, in 1980, and that was their pirate-themed song, Jolly Roger. And we've got one more song from Adam and the Ants to come to round off the month, but they're hoisting the Jolly Roger. It's time for pirates. Maybe the, the Whitecaps should uh, adopt a kind of pirate persona since they're, they're playing on the road. They've got another month at least coming up in July of playing away from BC Place in Utah. We will come to that in this part. We're going to talk about the Whitecaps news of the week, but we're also going to unpack the chat that I had in the last part with Mark DeSantis. So, what did, what did you make of that that chat, Zach? Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, not vocally, but it, there was a, definitely a different tone than, to MDS. Then. Yeah, I felt that as well. Um, you... I don't know. I don't know the best way to label it. Uh, it's like, um, you know, you know, salsa. You got like, uh, you know, mild or hot or whatever. It's, mm. It was like mi- at least mild frustration, maybe medium frustration coming yeah, through. Yeah, de- definitely frustration. Kind of, he felt a little bit resigned. I thought as well to like yes. th- this. This is what it is at the moment. This is what we've got to work with. This is the best it's going to be. It kind of came across a little bit like that. Which, which to be honest, is not the first time we've heard that from a Whitecaps manager. I, I know, because, uh, yeah, th- there's there's a few similarities that I kind of thought coming away from that interview. It did remind me of a, a few years ago. But, I mean, the, the Caps are officially now on a, a five-day break from Saturday. 
They they trained this week, so they weren't fully into a break. So they they wanted to 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 work on a lot of aspects of the game. They wanted to work on formations, various things like that. So, I mean, MDS said that he feels that as a club, and where they are right now, and also with the decisions that that they have to take on players and. I guess, just formations and everything. He feels that the break is good for them. I, I kind of thought, coming off the back of three defeats, it might have been a case that they wanted to just get straight back at, right away, try and turn that around. But he feels the break's come at a good time. And he's probably right. It's a chance to regroup. It's a chance to work on things. Uh, and as he said, it's being used to evaluate what they have right now. And I take it from that to mean... Are the players they've got depth-wise good enough? Do they have to make some loans? Do they maybe have to look, come the summer transfer market, of making more additions than they maybe thought that they would have to have made? I mean, the bottom line is the the squad, the team, the starters, the the depth is not good enough. And, and that's measurable from what they're spending on it. It's measurable from the results they're getting. It's me- measurable from both my left and my right eye. Like, it's... You know, it's yeah. they need they they need better footballers. They need better quality in the, in the squad. There was a good tweet from our good friend Slamo this week when I was asking just to to get some listeners and some readers and some some Twitter followers' opinion on where the team is. And mostly pessimistic, I've got to say. But Slamo said that for the first time in a long time, it feels that this team's got a lot of depth. They just need starters now possibly 10 of them yeah yeah but the the depth conversation is a uh, it's like groundhog day like every like every year for 10 years everyone has said oh the white caps depth has improved but that's that's looking at it in a vacuum that's looking at it in isolation like just looking at them only every team in mls has improved their depth every year in part because every year the salary budget is increasing at least nominally and so every team has, has got has gotten better so yeah, they're. I well, I personally don't. For the last couple of years, I haven't. I haven't felt maybe even three or four years now. I feel. I feel the depth hasn't been that as great as others people have pronounced it to be. Yes, like going into this season, I, I was quite confident. I thought the team would make the playoffs. Then the the great start that they had, the way that the attack was clicking, which to me is still one of the positives. I I thought that's that's a really good aspect of everything and that optimism from me has basically over i, I think it's mainly because we're on a, a run now of three three losses in a row it's kind of sucked a lot of that enthusiasm some of that confidence out of me and looking at how some of the other teams are playing and because we've been doing our mls review more it, it's kind of some teams just seem so far ahead of us. Yeah, well, that, that that that's for sure. Now, Mark said that this spell is it's being used to evaluate formations as well, and to have the right formations to achieve success. So he's he's basically said that the four two three one is more on the table than four four two. Although he did say that they've kind of been using both, but in this first spell of games, it's mostly been four four two. But he's wanting to look more now at four two three one, so that they've got a player underneath Cava. He says that they need to make sure that they've got another system in place 
and the the players are adapted to both systems because it's interesting when I spoke to him before the season he said they were going to stick with this 4-4-2 because I said are, are you going to stick with it, this formation even though you've maybe not got the personnel that you want to do it and he said yep that's what we're doing but now he said he doesn't want to force the system onto the team when it's not the right players available to play in that system and I'm glad to hear that because that is what needs to happen? You have to be adaptable. And he said also, depending on the opposition, that's going to dictate exactly what system they play. But, I mean, we, we've talked about it. And I think four-two-three-one, especially if they bring in a 10 or an advanced number 8 or whatever, is the way to go forward at the moment, Zach. But that was one of the awkward things at the beginning of the year. And we sort of talked about it, or at least a little bit. Maybe we talked about it off air. But, like, why was, like... I mean, first off, four four two feels like the most basic thing you can play with as as a football club, like as a football team, right? So, like, it's like when you go to the park and you're going to play with people, and it's a, like a a pickup game. You, it's a kind of formation you play because everyone's kind of used to it. Everyone kind of knows knows it. It's like the base. Like, I would be so shocked if not every single player in the roster played four four two as a kid at some point or college or you know, a youth or whatever. It's so, it's like the baseline formation. So one, I was, one, I was, in one hand, I was surprised at the beginning of the year when, when MDS was so committal to being like, this is who we're going to be. This is what it's going to be. And it was kind of like, we're not going to separate. We're going to, we're not going to divert from this. I was both one hand. I was kind of like, okay, that's it's basic. And that's kind of limiting, I think in some ways, but on the other hand, it was like, okay, at least he's going to take the simplest thing, try and get them on that page uh, probably be compact and like you know um, help them at least defensively compared to where they were last year um, and and make it more simple for them. So it's both encouraging and discouraging to hear them shifting away from that. But um, you can under, you can totally understand why. And again, I think there are pros and cons. I think the biggest con is and depending what depending on where he sees Dahomey going in all of this. That's the biggest question for me because. Dahomey has been the person who has benefited the most from the 4-4-2. Being up front next to Kava, having defenders need to occupy Kava for his abilities, for his physical presence, I believe has created both um, physical room, but also just uh, uh, kind of intangible space for Dahomey to operate in and for him to get some of his chances. Now, he could just be if they don't actually get someone to be an actual number 10 to play in the middle that the, the three in the four, two, three, one, he, Dahomey could be that person and he could kind of, you know, not, you know, slightly augment where he is from, you know, being partnered next to, to Kava to being, you know, underneath him and still have some of the, the, the pluses of, of what he's had so far this year. But it, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting if, if there's no changes, then uh, there's no, if there's no additions to the roster then I don't know if this is that huge of a change. Oh, there has to be additions to the roster. It's yeah. like there's no way that they... It's like they're going to be bottom and cut adrift if they don't make additions to this roster. Well, I'm, I'm not, I don't disagree with that, Michael, but there was also supposed to be... Like, we were, the, they guaranteed people, essentially, that there was going to be a number 10. Like, they were so confident in October, November, whenever it was, that they made uh, the you, you can feel Mark's frustration when oh, he's yeah. talking about it. And right and, so. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, yeah, totally. A lot, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, you read Twitter or you read, you know, comments of people, whatever, 
or you just talk to people nowadays as maybe you do. Um, a lot of the blame seems to be falling on MDS and MDS, like all coaches is not perfect. And you for, for sure can have different opinions on approach formations, tactics, all that. But this is like 11 years, right? And the same issues are there. And surely people have to see and understand that those issues are not primarily the coach's issues. This yes. is a bigger organizational, there, there are much larger organizational uh, issues at hand that if those are never addressed and they haven't been, they have never fully been addressed, this will just continue to happen. It doesn't matter who your coach is. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And like the thing, Steve, if they switch to 4-2-3-1, and we, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, it does feel like if they're going to bring in a number 10, it wasn't going to work in 4-4-2 with who we've got and who we want to be on the pitch. So 4-2-3-1 would at least give them that flexibility. Now, Mark said he's wanting to look at that, and especially for when they have to play under more pressure and playing on the counter. And given that, like, this is the thing that you've harped on about for a couple of years now, is the defensiveness of the midfield and them doing a better job. 4-2-3-1 would at least give that better support, you feel, to the defence. Yeah, definitely, it definitely will. Um, I want to quickly talk about uh, what Zach was mentioning there. Um, you know how they, they promised a number 10? They, ultimately, they should have two number 10s. They should have a backup. Yes. And they didn't even have the ability to bring a backup from a lower league or something like that, saying that this is just, and they could have said this is a this is somebody that's going to be working eventually in, uh, from the bench or whatever. But they didn't even have the foresight to do that. For the for the lineup, uh, I would say that the they went to the four four two for me because they they knew that there was a lacking of uh, creativity in the midfield, and they were trying to hide that. And essentially, that's why the four four two came from. They they really didn't have any option there because the uh, um, and they thought maybe the homie would help in the middle, like Zach said. I mean, it yeah, definitely helped there. Steve, I I don't disagree with you in principle. Like, yeah, bring in a backup number ten. The problem is, and one of the Whitecaps, in my opinion, one of the Whitecaps weak point weak weak points as an organization is how they communicate. Yeah, and they chose. Like, there's lots of things that they both communicate explicitly about and implicitly about. And one of the things they chose to explicitly communicate about was, we are getting a high-quality number 10. So if they had brought in a backup, which you're right, they do, they, they do need. If they had done that, they still would have been failing in their stated, um, oh, yeah, for sure. their stated goal of bringing in a high-quality number 10, you know, which they, they uh, you know, failed miserably at right they didn't get I know I, I'm not say, I'm not saying they I'm not I'm not saying that would have helped I'm just saying that they didn't even do that that was the minimum yeah. they needed two number 10s so they but should have brought they, one in they, minimum but that's the thing not, that, Zach, I'm not arguing Zach, Zach I'm not arguing with you with your point I'm just saying that they should have brought at least a number one more 10 yeah especially because if they're wanting to go four two three one and, and they and don't not, deliver the 10 now it's like yeah. at least they would have had a guy that's playing the system and everyone else would be used to the system you just yeah, interchange not, the 10. I'm not saying they shouldn't have brought the, that main number one that you're talking about. I'm just saying that they should have at least brought somebody else that would have been yeah. easier to find than that one. And I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you either. What I'm saying, though, is the, the communication shot themselves in the foot. Well, that's that's the uh, they, that's kind of their modus operandi or whatever. If they would have done what you were saying, and I, I don't I don't disagree with that at all, they should have said, hey, we're going to bring in a, 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 like a, a, a 
like a first team number 10 and we're going to bring in a depth number 10 right but but because they said we're bringing in this high quality one they couldn't then bring in a depth one you know what I mean? Yeah, like, but then it's like when Andy Rose was brought in a couple of years ago, we were all been four wanting to speak to him and stuff, and it, we were told, look, he's he's just here. He's a squad player. He's a backup. Now he's our starting centre-back. But Mark feels that the team has been competitive in all the games, aside from that KC game where, obviously, they were, like, ripped apart. And they, they have been. But we talked about this last week. They need to... They need to be able to get ahead in games so that they're not trying to play catch-up. Once they fall behind, and we've had this before with teams, it, 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 feel, it doesn't feel as bad as it has some previous years, but it does feel it's a struggle for them to then try and get back into the game. So they need to get ahead. And when you're a team that's constantly playing with that, that just heaps extra pressure on you. Yeah, for real. Now, you have to feel that some of the guys in the squad just now, to, to use a Scottish phrase, their coats may be on a sugarly peg. Yesterday, because we're recording this on Sunday, so on Saturday, the Whitecaps had a, a friendly, it was more a fitness game for scrimmage, just to, to get some of the guys some playing time, and it was against USL 2 side, Ogden City. Nope, I'd never heard of them either. And it ended up nil-nil. So positive, they kept a clean, clean sheet. sheet. Yeah. No, no, an ultra, ultra, ultra clean. clean sheet. So I mean that that's good for the guys that were in defensively. And let's not read too much into this because it was mainly for fitness. It was mainly the backup guys. But surely this is the game that these guys are like. Okay, the team's struggling. Someone like Theo Bear, who a lot of the guys online are like Theo needs to play, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is the kind of game. That guy should have come into this lineup and been like, I am going to show that I should be in at least the game day squad, if not a starter. And the fact that they drew another blank, no goals from open play or set pieces, I, 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 I think it's concerning. Yeah, it's a throwaway game in a lot of ways, but there's a, there's a concern there for me that these guys couldn't do something against this level of opposition. It was reminiscent of the, the preseason game against against Gershon in the 11. I know that mm. was half residency guys, but the guys who weren't residency guys really didn't show well in that game then. No. This seems a continuation of that in one Now, side. of course, we didn't see the game, so maybe they dominated and peppered the goals, yeah. shots galore yeah. and stuff. But, but the, the thing is, if they assigned a squad number 10, like I said before, they might have done something yesterday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, that... The thing is, though, like, this this was a chance for guys to stand out. And if we end up losing guys to the Gold Cup squad, a lot of these guys are going to be expected to come in and play in MLS in a brutal July with some really tough games coming up. But, what, I mean, we'll, we'll come to that in a sec. Mark said that the Whitecaps are in a division within a division. So I think we all know what he means by that. But just to clarify, basically, you've got the top spenders. You've got the guys that's got all the, the standout players. And we talked about this in our preseason. You've got the upper echelon of the West that you expect are going to be in the playoffs and are, are going to do well. Seattle's in there. LAFC's in there. We, we put Minnesota in there as well. We're not sure about that. We also put Portland kind of borderline. But... Sporting Kansas City, these are the teams that you're expecting to be up there. Then you've got the teams that 
aren't flashy, don't have their, their big designated players, don't spend all the money. So you're in around the, the Houstons, the Dallases, RSL, Colorado, San Jose. That's the kind of division that, that we're in. And that's what Mark means, that we're a division in a division. But if we don't start to strengthen and get some better players in now, we're going to fall out of that division and we're going to be in a, a division with, I don't know who. I I, I have a, like, the, the period that's coming up, I described it as brutal. MDS agreed. You've got games coming up in June. It's RSL, who's going to be the home team. Then it's the Galaxy. Then it's the Sounders. Then you've got seven games in July, which includes a break of 10 days in July. So that shows you how much the games are coming. And the Gold Cup's on. So there's going to be guys away at that. I, I worry that by the end of July, we could be in a position, if you look at the East, that like Chicago and Cincinnati are in just now, where the rest of them are like moving on and they're leaving you far behind. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the problem I have there is that the schedule is always going to be tough, no matter what. Um, like two of, those, two of those three games you just mentioned in June are winnable. Like Seattle is the only one that I don't see winnable, but they could beat the RSL if they play properly, if they play up to their level of, of what they should be playing. They can beat an LA Galaxy. They can catch an LA Galaxy off guard. They did last year in the second game of the year. So there are winnable games. It's just a matter of they, do they have the tactics right? Do they have the lineups right? For the for the Gold Cup, I'm not sure how many players are going to go there. We just saw, we're going to talk about it later, but uh, right now the World Cup qualifying, we, the Whitecaps are not hard hit by the Canadian no, uh, yeah, just leaving. look us away. But you have to feel that it's going to be different players that coming in the gold cup. Although, well, what if what if they're going to be getting it from other places like Europe? But they're going to want to get a European feel or something like that with the players they want. So possibly. I don't know. I mean, we, so get, I we might not lose that many, but it, it's it's good at least that that's the only thing that's on in in July. Now, Mark broke down the the goals because I, I before I sat and. Spoke to him. I, I sat and watched all the goals back because uh, obviously I'm a masochist, and I was getting more frustrated again watching all the amount of ball watching and players just not tracking the runs and just standing still. And y- you can tell the frustration and the anger from Mark Zach. The it's just the way that some of those goals were given up, in, in particular. The, the arguing with referees and switching off and not being set and not not playing the way not having the players where they should be. Yeah, he was very calm in talking to you and talking to you about it all, which was nice. Um, but uh, yeah, he as he ran through those goals of the one, you know, and how they or what he felt about them. Yeah, some of them were simple breakdowns. Whether it's yeah the. Uh, complaining to the referee about not getting a call and then not being set for for play, giving up a goal off a throne, which is never a great thing. Um, uh, I found some of the explanations a little bit. I mean, there was some good insight. I mean, one of the biggest parts of that discussion for me that was it was interesting was him verbalizing uh, about the verbalizing their approach about uh, about what happened on the Maxi Uruti goal. Yes, that, that I I. Right, yeah. where he said, "Look, we, <laughs> we do a we do a mixed system, was mixed zonal system, and on that play, what's supposed to happen is the player on the post is supposed to go to the potentially open. The ball's going to an open player at the backside. They're supposed to pick them up. 
So we know whose fault it was. I can't. Yeah. I didn't then go back and watch that, but it's clear whose fault yeah. that was. But they then that happened out. three minutes later. But as Mark said, it didn't then happen in the second half. Right, because at halftime they yes, <laughs> but sure. it's too late by that point because because you're two goals down. Now we're obviously missing Ali Adnan, and we're missing Ooh. the assists. I, I seem to vaguely remember a guy that called Ali, but. We are missing his assist. We're missing that play on the left. And it it was interesting to see he honestly doesn't know what's going to happen with, with Ali in July, August. It, it felt like a, surreal, like for him to be like, I, to me, the whole situation is surreal. Like I know we're in unique times and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, th- these things are out of their hands and whatever. But with a league that gets so much done, with American stuff with green cards and all that kind of stuff that there can't be a resolution in the amount of time it's been right. Like this is not like an overnight thing. This is, this is not like a, a few weeks thing. This is not even a couple of months thing. Like he was there playing last year. He left and they all knew he was coming back in whatever it was February, yeah. March, whatever. Like I, I really don't understand it. It, it feels, it feel, I mean, and we'll, I'm guessing we'll never know. Or well, I am sitting down with Axel soon, so I'm going to try and get an I, answer out of him in that regard. I hope but, we get the real story one day. But mm. but the bottom line is, it feels like unacceptable. And I know they're I know they're 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 on the record. Comments are simply it's out of our hands. There's nothing we can do. That does not like for this period of time. Just does, doesn't feel acceptable. But I mean, there's been offers for Ali. There's been interest in Ali. I still. I'll be I'll be shocked if was he's is, playing has there been offers or just interest? Yeah, that that definitely interest. Interest, yes, interest. Yeah, I don't see. I still don't see it being offers until they get to the like Ali Adnan at this point is not a number one choice for most teams at left back, like in Europe. I'm talking about. Mm. Um, so I'm thinking if other things fall out, then they will pick him up or something I, like that. I, I don't know. He he played in he played in Syria. I, I I do think Ali Adnan could be a starter left back for some Euro, like some Europeans. Well, yeah, no, no. Pitch, what I'm saying is that league. I'm, I'm I'm saying that he might be a backup option for some teams, and so once the first option fail, goes away, then they'll circle oh, back right, to Ali Adnan. Right. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. But like, yeah. I, to me, the bigger thing is would be I think there are there would be enough clubs, or sorry, I think there would be some potential right fits. The mm-hmm. biggest questions would be would, would their valuation match with the Whitecaps one. And then number two, it would be Ali. Would Ali say, yeah, that's somewhere I want to go and willing yeah. to go, have a desire to go to or meets all of his, whatever his needs see, are. I see, he, I, I, for, uh, uh, I don't know what the political situation is, but I can see him at the worst probably playing in some Turkish uh, team, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, there was rumors I, there, was, Iraq there was interest from a Turkish side. I forget who uh, it was but, now. But isn't there some issue with Turkey and Iraq or something like that? I don't know. I'm not no, it's much. Turkey and Iran. Oh, is it? Oh, I thought it was Turkey and Iraq. Okay. Yeah, Tur- Turkey to me seems like a natural or uh, like a logical fit for him. But maybe again, maybe the the maybe the, maybe, maybe the wages with something might not be right. Or, or maybe he's holding out for Syria and not really entertaining yeah. offers from Turkey yet. I mean, we've missed him in the midfield, which I know is crazy to say because we're talking about a left back. But we we've missed that presence on on the left side, and no matter how good it is and what Rusty gives to the team, he's not the left no. midfielder, the left winger that you want. 
And the midfield is clearly the big area of concern. Mark talked that the transition when not on with the ball, it's not been good. He says the team's unbalanced, they lose control in games, there's a big gap between the midfield and the attack, and he says it doesn't feel as big when it's a three-man midfield, which I, I think is right. But, I mean, that that's a big area to address, and if we don't get this 10 in, I don't see how it gets addressed anytime soon unless... I mean, it's a lot expected then of Kayo, of Baldy, Awuso maybe, Bikel. I, I don't know who's going to be the person that's going to fill that gap fr- from who we have. I don't, I, I, sorry, I don't see anybody filling that gap. They'll mm. need to bring somebody else from uh, outside the team. Um, that it, it, I know we make fun of him and everything, um, you know, uh, but um, his value on that left side uh, is more... An attack is more than what the weak link is for his defensive play. Absolutely. Like, like, like he, he, the what he can bring forward. I remember a couple of games last year, especially in the tournament, uh, where he came on and he just was lights out. And there was like you could tell the value of the. Obviously, you don't want to pay a left back that much, but yeah. the, what you're paying for, you were getting in spades. Well, I mean, he's led the team in assists for two straight seasons, which in itself is, is not a good sign. Crazy, no. <laughs> And then you look at the right and you, you see how much we've not been getting from the right side with, with Nerwinski and stuff. Again, a couple, this might be a small thing, but then they should change him on the roster and call him a left winger or a left midfielder because that, that, yeah. that would help his cause. I I've think. been saying for years, to, yeah. not for years, yeah. but like for at least since last year to change him, especially yeah. when Gutierrez came in. I thought Gutierrez was yeah. good enough to play left back, move Aliana and up left mid. It was interesting to hear Mark talk too about, you know, the uh, the hard work that Rusty's put in, you know, like the selfless work that Rusty's put in because that's been some of their... The, I mean, if we don't go into detail about the opponents, that's been the thing that's probably worked the best for them was having Guti at left back, having Rusty on left side of midfield, having him, Rusty, tuck in a little bit, allowing Guti to go forward, Russell helping in the middle and helping back where, where Guti was. And uh, that gave them, I think, probably the, the, the best attacking options they've had. Uh, this well, year. we've talked about the number 10 and the Caps have been linked with another number 10 this week. Well, he's a 10-stroke attacking eight. It's Alan Patrick, who I had never heard of. And when I saw the name, I was like, oh, he sounds like he could be Scottish or Irish. But it turns out he's not. He's Brazilian. Uh, he's currently with Ukraine side Shakhtar Donetsk. Um... I, I still think a player like Ryan Gold would, would be good, or David Witherspoon, someone like that. I don't know that David Witherspoon wants to, to leave where he is just now. Ryan Gold, though, is possibly a guy that could fit the bill. But just now, Alan Patrick from Shakhtar is the guy that the Whitecaps have apparently made an offer to bring him here on an 18-month loan. Um... Yeah, Schachter sounds like they have to shave some Brazilian off. <laughs> yes, they certainly they're do. They're bringing another one in. Yeah, like Patrick's turned 30. He, he's a Brazilian, plays attacking mid, calm. He can also play right mid. He came through the Santos youth system. He's been with Shakhtar since 2011, which is like crazy when I saw that. He's had three loan spells, though, during that time back in Brazil. 
So he's been capped at under-20 and under-19 level. He won the 2011 Under-20 World Cup, so accomplished as a youth player. But even with Shakhtar, he's won six league titles. This year, though, Shakhtar, they finished second. They were 11 points behind Dynamo Kiev. So it's the feeling is that they want to have a bit of a shake-up. They've got two young Brazilian midfielders on their squad already coming through. And according to ESPN Brazil, they're close to finalising a €40 million Euro transfer of Pedrino from Benfica. So it looks like Patrick is available. I, I don't know too much about him, but from looking at it, looking at his stats, he looks like the guy that would fit the bill. We've talked that it's probably going to be a South American guy that, that comes in to fit in with who else they've got in the attack. Are you excited by this? I, I think it would be a pretty good acquisition. I'm excited by anybody who can at True. this point play number 10. I think if he was he's... ranked the seventh best Brazilian at number 10 in the world. And one of the things that I saw someone tweet I, out. I, and I think I, I like the the fact that he's coming in, and even if it's for 18 months alone, um, that makes sense. You know, you get a half year here and you get a full year next year. And then, yeah. you know, maybe his contract's over at that point. Um, and and if they're able to bring him in, then maybe they can bring in somebody else a little younger to develop or something like that down the road. And that would be an ideal situation. And that way they have somebody ready in 18 months uh, to take over if it's a younger player. So I, I think it's a good idea to bring somebody in. You're not you're not committed to this player for a long period, but you, he's got quality that you need in that midfield. And again, right now, um, at this point, beggars cannot be choosers. Yes. If, if he can play at number 10, just take him. Um, Shakhtar is known for bringing through South Americans. Uh, and until yes, recently, they were known as a, a team that uh, was dominant in Ukraine. They, they, they mm -hmm. usurped uh, Dynamo Kiev's uh, longstanding dominance in the league to kind of take top spot or, or at least be in this uh, struggle with them for the top spot. And um, so, yeah, I think it's it seems like a respectable shout, right? Uh, but I think there's a lot of people like Steve probably who – are easily excited or, you know, will be easily happy about anything coming in because nothing has come in. And I think this, if this is true, if this is going to happen, um, I mean, it's better than one, doing nothing. Uh, and two, it would be an encouraging sign. Yeah. It's just when they can get it done. Does he want to come here? Does he want to stay in Europe? It's the other thing. Would he want to go back to Brazil? So, I mean, there's all those questions. I'd still like us to try and do some kind of trade within MLS. I feel we need some MLS veterans, some MLS savvy in there. And I, I, I've heard murmurs that something could be in the works in regard to that. I don't know whether it's us giving anyone up or if it's just us giving up some of the, the gam that we're sitting on because we may as well spend it. It's no point in just sitting there. But I, I hear that there's there's been feelers put out and something could maybe even be announced before June 1st. I guess we'll have to wait and see. The The other option in attack could be a residency graduate, Gloria Amanda, who just won the Mac Herman Trophy with the, the Oregon Beavers. Yeah, but, it's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Speaking to Mark, though, about it, didn't exactly sound like the Caps were like chomping at the bit to add him to, to the roster. I also don't know that Glory's chomping at the bit to come back to Vancouver though. 
Yeah, I assume Glory's not, but that was that was an awkward moment in your discussion for sure. Mm. Yes, because um, the white caps hold his MLS rights, so that obviously yeah. muddies the waters. Now the thing is with this is, uh, and this is just speculation on my part. I have no idea if this is the case, but Glory is uh, uh, close to uh, was close to Alfonso Davies mm-hmm. um, in in his back at Edmonton and developing up in the residency. My, I'm wondering how much Alfonso was talked to him about what he went through oh, uh, with the transfer, and that maybe it's better. He maybe suggested it better off just going on your own right now and not even approaching the Whitecaps, especially if he didn't want to. Uh, if, if Glory wants to play in Europe one day, well, the, how, the world's his oyster just now. How right? long? How much? How long do they hold his rights for, or whatever? Right? Because oh, in perpetuity, in, as far in, as I... yeah, it, it is. But the thing is, if if somebody they can probably sell him for a gam money or yeah. sell his. Uh, it's it's going to be ironic if there is a trade and it's that we've traded the rights to Glory Amanda to somebody for for some player in return but, yeah but, but that's the thing though right that's only an mls right he can go wherever he wants right yeah oh no, yeah. yeah europe uh-huh. europe, he could, europe he could go wherever he wants he's yeah. totally free to do but what he if wants you're Gloria, if you're Gloria mando why would you sign a contract with mls especially no. if they try and make you sign one of their you know one plus three or two plus two yeah ridiculous no. deals where you have no leverage it's like, like hey we'll give you one hundred and fifty thousand, and you'd be no, like he what, should he... is that a week <laughs> it's like no yeah, no that's, there's no doubt that he should turn this trophy win, which is a huge, huge accomplishment. Yeah, yeah I mean, let's talk about that. It is amazing for Glory. Yeah. What he has done this season with Oregon State, I, I've watched highlights of some of the games. He is on fire. And it's a guy that we've watched come through the, the residency system. We, we were so delighted when he got his WFC2 deal. And then when he went to college, he had a, yeah. a quiet start. But, I mean, yeah. he has been fantastic and fully deserved, and I just wish him all the best for the future. Yeah, the thing is, you could see the dynamicism in his game right from the beginning. Like, he was able to attack. He could play He could play either wings. He could play in the middle. He could play anywhere. Um, the, the, initially, he had a little bit of a quiet start in, um, in, in, in the residency because of the fact that he was away from home. Mm. Um, but and that you can expect that a lot from. But once he got rolling, there was he was basically unstoppable. At, I, at some I mean, point. It's a great story as well. Came to Canada from a, a refugee camp in Tanzania, at the same club as Alfonso Davies, playing youth level. They've retired the jersey because they both wore the, the same jersey number there. I mean, it, he's so marketable, and winning this now, like if I'm his agent, which I wish I was, I'm like, don't sign for MLS. No, you shouldn't. One hundred percent. He should. He should be able to translate this and transfer this into a European deal somewhere. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a no. It's a no brainer. Go go somewhere in Europe. Even if you're right, Michael, the the amount is not as big as what an MLS will offer you for your first year or whatever. And go live the dream because yeah. if you have the opportunity now, you need you need to take it. Yeah, yeah you gotta like go. The- the worst thing for him would be to come to Vancouver in a struggling team, not get a lot of minutes, just be used off the bench, not have an impact, and folk like, oh, he can't do it in the, the adult pro game. I would be shocked if he had any desire to play for the Whitecaps. No. I w- I'd be shocked if he had the desire to play in the MLS. He yeah. should be like, – like, if I was his agent, I'd be showing, letting people know that this guy came through the same ranks as Alfonso Davies. Um, look what Jonathan David has done. Uh, he's he, he could potentially be that type of player. Like he could have probably left college earlier if he wanted to and mm-hmm. gone to Europe. It's one of those it's one of those moments where we get to see 
it's like the switch, right? With Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, the switch from being Canadian being a negative thing for you, yeah. as a footballer, now yeah. it being a potentially positive or a selling point. Yeah. Well, let's end our our Whitecaps chat with how I ended the, the chat with Mark. I asked him if he feels that he's on the in the hot seat, on the hot seat. He said always, and yeah. said whatever happens, he's at peace that he's done his best. And that's all we can do, which was, I thought was an interesting answer. That that I think is how I came away from it, thinking that he's a bit resigned to what he's what he's got and what he's working with. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a coach who's confident about his contract being extended at the end of the year. Yeah, I've got to say right now, I'm not confident that his contract would be getting extended at the end of the year either. I mean, obviously, he can turn a lot of things around, but yeah. I, I, but I I don't th- I don't see that being as a negative either like e- for either no uh, because at this point MDS has done it's true MDS has done as much as he can with whatever he has if he stayed here longer um, it would, could be like a real frustrating and also uh, put his uh, uh, ability to build up as a coach down like in a downward spiral um, and the same thing for the Whitecaps the Whitecaps uh, might need somebody with a fresh voice at this point I know that. It's not always, and that's not a guarantee that it's going to turn around things, but sometimes you just need to a clean break at the end of the year, like at the end of the terms contract. Yeah, let, let me be clear. When I said MDS, it, does, it sounds like someone whose contract's being, uh, not being extended at the end of the year. I didn't mean that as a negative for him. Yeah. As a positive for him. Yeah. Um, like, from what the year he came here with, with uh, I've told this story before, but the year he came here with uh, as Br- Bradley's number two, and I talked to him after the game. And I said, you'd never come here, surely. Mm. And he was sort of like, well, you never know, kind of thing. Uh, I was just like, that's crazy. And then he came here. And I was like, I can't believe you came here. And yeah. he was like, essentially, not verbatim, but he's like, look, if you can do it here. We're, like Same thing. Carl Robinson said very similar things. If you can do it in Vancouver, where you're so limited with your resources, then it looks really good on you. If you don't, then everyone knows it's because you had limited resources. So yeah, yeah I agree. For MDS, I hope, uh, I, I wish him success, uh, whether that turns out to be with Vancouver or not. But uh, if it's not in Vancouver, I think he will have success again as a football coach in North America or other elsewhere in the world. And the Whitecaps have such a reputation that any coach that leaves here is bound to get hired somewhere else. Yeah, and, one more time. And Steve, the, the, the new voice that's needed in Vancouver I don't believe it's uh, the coach's voice that needs to be near. Yeah, sadly, it doesn't. Things just don't seem to change uh, in that regard. But yeah, I mean, hopefully, Mark can turn it around this season. They're still very much in touch, and if they can get the pieces that he's wanting to add, we've got to see then if he can can deliver the success with those pieces. But that is it for our Whitecaps chat. We're going to turn our attention to the rest of MLS and the weekend's action. We'll be back with that after this. Hey, I am Axel Schuster and I'm listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part from Glasgow, Scotland, it's the Yummy Fur from their 1997 album Kinky Cinema, a 60 track album that lasts about 32 minutes. That's the kind of songs that I love. That was a song in full, 48 seconds of it. Everything's turned to plastic. And I played that because it wasn't so much that everything turned to plastic in MLS this weekend. It was like everything that the players were wearing was made from plastic. Because it was parley weekend. Oh boy. I thought you were I thought your the choice of thing was because of the Champions League result. <laughs> I I uh I knew the Whitecaps had a bye this week, but I didn't know there was only gonna be two teams playing all weekend. Nonstop yes. over and over and over and over again. Well, let's get into that right away. So it was the weekend where the teams all play in the same parley strips, the dark blue, the light blue. Now, the the strips, they're nice. I like them. I like the design. I like that kind of effect through a strip. No issue with that at all. Watching every single team play in those colours this weekend. On Saturday, because my wife's doing some courses and stuff just now, I had a feast of football. By the time I got to my fifth MLS game, I thought I was going crazy. And some of them I was just watching in the background, some of it I'd missed the start. When you're tuning into the game, I had no idea who some of the teams were at first, and you had to kind of really pay attention to try and work out who the hell was who. I don't like it. I don't see why they can't just have parley strips that's in the team colours. Surely that would be more preferable to everyone. What what did you think of it, Zach? Well, well, just so quickly for me, I like uh, sorry. Uh, I, this is how I felt. I felt a couple of times during the year so far because the the colors are so different now. Not their normal colors, but that's fine. Um, go ahead, Zach. No, I was I was gonna say I, I think that um, yeah, this has been happening for a while, right? Like parlays and working with Adidas for a while. Yeah. Uh, with these um, to make to make these uniforms, Byron's done them uh, in the past. I wonder, and I don't know, I haven't read, so forgive me if this is already out there, but like, is there some significance to them being in these colors or maybe was it cheaper to do just two colors? Like, wh- well, they said it was prime blue was the the thing that they were marketing with it. I don't quite know what that is, but I mean, you can definitely get it in any color you want because I, I tweeted out that the new Loch Ness FC yes. from the North Caledonian League in Scotland and Very it's nice. made from the same, it's made from recycled yeah. Yeah, Byron's kit when it was done was a red, right? So, uh, or that, as as I recall it, it was red. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, it's nice to, to, you know, see the kits made out of plastic, you know, the the cause is a good cause or whatever. But like, yeah, it was kind of annoying to watch every single game. And and like, sometimes it was like, oh, that one team usually plays in that color, but they were, for whatever reason, the opposite, you know, like, it was, it, it was, it was kind of weird. Yeah, the one the one team named after water and plays basically on the Pacific Ocean is not involved in this. Week. Yeah. So again, are the, the I saw the Whitecaps had one of these jerseys made. Are they actually ever going to wear it? No. <laughs> to my knowledge, no. Because the, when Maybe the press release yesterday. came out from MLS, it said it's jersey swap and you, you'll swap blah blah blah, and it's like yeah, of course the weekend that the Whitecaps aren't playing is when when they do all this. 
Well, they gave them away. They gave yeah, they they, they gave six away, and uh, like I do like it, and it is a great cause. I think we all want the the plague of plastic to to be removed from the oceans, from the world. I've watched so many documentaries on it. It's terrible, just what it's doing to to ocean and marine life. And it's great if it raises awareness. It's just not a great viewing spectacle. The the way that that they did it. But let, let's actually talk about the action on the pitch then, because it was a mixed weekend. There was a lot of meh games. There was a few exciting games. But we'll do our quick MLS roundup in this part. So, as always, we like to start in the, the Western Conference or the Western Conference team. So the action in the West kicked off LAFC 1, New York City FC 2. It was the first of two East v West matchups this weekend, and the, the East won both of those. So, I mean, like this game, it threw up three goals, there was a sending off, and there was late drama, but I still came away from it feeling it was a bit flat, and I think a lot of it for me was because the commentary team, I thought, they didn't exactly breathe life into the game. I I don't know if you guys thought the same, if you just watched the highlights or whatever, but it just, everything just seemed flat in this game. I, well, Michael, I don't, uh, I don't listen to the games with commentary much anymore. I usually have the commentary off, and it's uh, a good idea. Multitasking, or I just don't want to listen to the commentary, so I don't have it on. Um, but it, this, I mean, the game, it was an interesting game, uh, to say the least. Yeah, well, like all the action came in the second half. Ar- Amundsen had a, a great effort for New York that was turned away in the fiftieth minute. And then Ellie opened the score in six minutes later. Corey Baird from close range. And then Funky Cold Medina. Jesus Medina. Jesus Medina? I'm not sure. What are those anyway? He tied things up in the 78th minute after Anton Tinnerholm pounced on a loose pass in the box from Mark Anthony Kay. And I was talking to, to Zach about this just before we were recording. The abuse that Mark Anthony Kay was getting on Twitter from LA fans after that giveaway was huge. It's like he's apparently cost him a few goals this year and they want him out of the team. Was, Maybe this is good news for the Whitecaps, I don't was know. This, uh, was this after the result or like live as it happened? It was live as LAFC had tweeted out it was 1-1 and then up, loads of LAFC fans were just in the in the Twitter comments just saying K again and get him out of the team and oh of course it's K and so they seem to have turned him in him a little bit which surprised me yeah it's awkward because he's arguably been one of their best players yeah but I mean that made him 1-1 and then New York City crashed a, a shot off the post but then Nicholas Acevedo got a second yellow and then a red card for, for a tackle there was still four minutes left plus stoppage time at that point, and I thought LAFC will probably go on it and sneak yeah. the win now. If nothing, they'll sneak the draw. But then, absolutely horrendous marking. They left Ishmael to Jury Shraddy, free at the back post. Corner came in, it was flicked on to him. He had the simple job of tucking it away. Really bad goal to lose for, for LA, and to lose three points at home as well was terrible they're, they're clearly not firing on all cylinders yet no i mean again bared with the goal for them which has been i think been a great pickup for them oh yeah uh, but uh yeah they will be uh more than disappointed not to get three points at home especially at home to a, like a eastern team that's traveling all the way there shorthanded 
at the end of the game. Um, yeah, and they I mean, made... the, the marking was awful, and it's like we've talked about their defense before. You're spending money, spend it on your defense for heaven's yeah, you, sake. You, you got to spread it around. It seems like there's yeah, the, the midfield, the wingers, attackers, they're putting all their money in there, and they just don't have enough at the back. Um, yeah, it's just it's just it's just odd to see if they're not scoring goals, they're 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 in tough because they're letting too many, and they give up too way too many chances. NYC coach Ronnie Dahlia said after the game he felt it was his best performance as a coach in his, his time at New York, and it's like huge boost for, for New York in this one. The other LA team, though, the Galaxy, they continued their good start to the season. Five wins now out of seven for, for Greg Vanny at his new club, 1-0 over San Jose. Now, this is a heated Californian rivalry at the best of times, but this one wasn't one of those games that... I talk about flat, it felt flat as well. I mean, the, the Galaxy were the better team in the first half. They had efforts cleared off the line, scrambled away, saved. One even crashed off the post. But it was goalless at the half. And it was goalless right up until the 70th minute when the, the decisive breakthrough came when Tanner Beeson just was standing in the wrong place at the wrong time. The ball deflected off him after a... A low crossing at the six-yard box. That proved to be the winner. San Jose had chances. but it was a huge chance. Wando. Oh. Wando yes. trying to, like, remember who he had the big miss? Then the, yeah. Uh, I wasn't as bad as that one, but yeah. Yeah. That was for Wando. Like, that, yeah. You got to score that. Jonathan Bond in the Galaxy goal had a great game. He had yeah. 12 saves at one point. Because the closing five, ten minutes of the game, San Jose were trying to get as many shots in as possible. Yeah. I was wondering if Max Cripple's 16-save game record was, was going to maybe get challenged also against San Jose, interestingly enough. But Bond was doing really well for, for Galaxy and Go in this one. Yeah, definitely was shaking there. <laughs> so Galaxy are third. Second place, though, is Kansas City. They were 3-2 winners against Houston. It's the battle between the last two teams to beat the Whitecaps. Obviously, both teams buoyed by that success. And, I mean, they took the lead. They were second best for the whole game, but Houston went 1-0 up. And they, they pounced on sloppy KC defending. It set up Matias Vera to fire home the opener 13 minutes in. Then KC took over. And it's like they had so many chances, but they just couldn't, like, get back on level terms in the first half. And then they dominated the second half as well. They, Gianluca Busio curled oh, a beautiful what free a kick Gorgeous in. goal. 51st minute of the half. Not my best free kick of the, of the weekend, though. I think just because this one hit off the post and in. Another one that we're going to come to later went straight in, and that, that was my goal of the weekend. For, for me, that's bonus points to hit the post and go in. Yeah. yeah. But... Did he call it? I, I don't know if he did, but he was very yeah, he, happy he, with he it. He didn't point at the post, no. But then after that, it was Steve's man, right? Yeah, <laughs> Steve's lit a fire under Alan Polito now. You're welcome, Kansas City. But it was from the spot, right? It was, yeah, that was he, about, well, he was tripped in the box, right. picked himself up, fired home the penalty on the hour mark. Houston, though, should have, have got ahead of that. Just before that goal, Maxi Ruti had a two-and-one breakaway. And he was terrible. He had a terrible shot. And they were punished with a penalty. Then Gaddy Kinder fired at home a nice finish in the 65th minute to make it 3-1. Uh, 
it really did convert in in stoppage time. He put one away, but Kansas City's looking good. The thing is with the Rudy is if you put a little bit of pressure on him, like uh, uh, be in front of him when he's trying to shoot, um, he usually uh, you, there's a chance you, he won't put it in. So you're saying it's unmarked scary. at the back post is not a good idea? For not, a good idea. not a good idea. <laughs> Colorado Dallas. I don't know how this finished just 3-0 to Colorado because this was dominance from start to finish by the Rapids. Yeah. Keegan Rose, Rosenberry fired them with a, a low, long ranger 30 minutes in. Diego Rubio cracked one off the post in the 26th minute. Mesquita was tripped in the box a minutes penalty, before yeah. half time, but then the, the Rapids missed. Rubio's effort was saved. They, they did go up two goals before half time, though. Tanner Tessman was oh, in the wrong place at the wrong time as well, and the deflect ball deflected off him into his own net. And then Barrios made it three in the 71st minute to, to complete a, a good performance by Colorado. They're playing some nice football. I thought they'd fade away this season after their run last year, but they've been, uh, for me, maybe the surprise package in the West through these first seven games. Although RSL might be up there as well as a a surprise package. They released the Krylatch. Yeah. The thing is with Colorado, they are a little bit of a surprise because they didn't play as many games last year as everybody else. Yeah. (laughs) They're looking good. RSL are as well, although they got a point with Minnesota. RSL went ahead in the 13th minute, as Zach said there. Damir Krylach again. Swept the ball home from eight yards out. And they were the better team for most of this match. Minnesota showed very little. But 78th minute, former Whitecap keeper Zach McMath let Minnesota get back in the game. But he tried to punch across away. But instead he only managed to punch it into the side of Nico Hansen. Oh, yeah, this one. Yeah, who had missed the header as the ball came in, and then it hit off the side of Hansen and then trickled into the net. Yeah, that was a that was a howler. Yeah, McMath believes in second chances there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think it's uh, the, the question. Boxall nearly won it for Minnesota late on as well. Yeah. The question I have is, though, any balls kicked into the stands for this one? Did, didn't see any. I think they have, to, right. have to get the win for that to happen. Now, Sunday's action... Two Cascadian teams in action. Philadelphia. Like, it was 3-0, but they dismantled Portland. And yeah. you do not see Portland dismantled as clinically as that very often. Philadelphia looked so impressive in this one. Yeah, I had that game on this afternoon while I was doing some other stuff. And yeah, like, I don't know this Philadelphia team. Like, I haven't watched as many of their games as I have, obviously, like Portland, for example. And yeah, they were so dominant. Oh, and part of me was Prish like, Belko was fantastic in this one. Yeah. I was wondering like how much does the travel did was it was there issues like or the you know getting in early and knowing they were going to leave early or whatever like getting in late or what I don't know what their their whole setup No, well, they well, it's far enough that they yeah, wouldn't have been they, able they to travel the next three overnight I, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. But still yeah. they they looked so off. Oh and, yeah. And, but they've got a lot of guys. They've got something like eight guys out injured just now. And oh, about yeah. half of them is probably first teamers. Polo's gone for the year after that tackle, yes. right? Yes, yes, he is. Uh, I, MLS are still reviewing it because obviously the guy was suspended for this weekend and now there's a break. So they are still reviewing what punishment they're going to hand out to Derek Williams, who I've gonna... got to say, like we talked about this last week, there was no malice in that tackle. 
but he's been getting lots of yeah, abuse and abuse, racial abuse especially from Peruvian fans. Um, it's like totally out of order because there wasn't any malice. It was just misjudged. It was a bad tackle. But to racially abuse him and just abuse him in any way for that is just shocking. Yeah, okay, that's that's not on at all. But still, it doesn't matter how uh, how lacking in intent, intent that tackle was. Like he needs to, he needs. Oh, he's going to get another one or two tagged onto it. For no, all no, sure. you, I think you might get a little bit more than that. Well, you think? No, it wasn't just poorly timed. It was okay. The poorly timed is part of it, but then it was so reckless and so uh, aggressive. Might be the wrong word, but it was. It caused such grief, like such an. Uh, egregious effect that i think like it i think that it's gonna warrant like a more like a five game at least kind of ban no my my for me intent is more important than uh the the end result if the the intent for me if it's somebody that was clear that he was intending to go after yeah. somebody then that's more for me oh yeah, I'm, I'm with steven i agree with you intent is important but when a play happens it was so re- like it was such a bad challenge to me, the effect after it is also bad and also plays into it. But it was such a bad ta- challenge that you can't just wash it away and say, "Oh, it's a regular red card. He'll get two or three games, and that's it." Like it has to be something more. I, Otherwise, I, I'd be surprised if it's more than two or three games. Yeah, I, I think he'll get maybe two maximum. I think tag, he gets four or more. All right, let, let, let's have a sweepstake and we'll see what happens. But let, let's get back to Philly, Portland, um, Prospelko he's one of these dangerous guys in MLS. So the one thing you don't want to do is leave him unchecked to run in and meet a free kick six yards from goal. Timbers did just that, and then they found themselves 1-0 down 25 minutes in. Five minutes later, they let him rise and challenge to flick on a corner. Sergio Santos turned it in from close range. And then Leon Flash, ah, thought he'd scored to add a third for Philly. On the stroke of halftime, VAR ruled it out though for hitting his arm. I, I wasn't sure that it totally hit his arm. I don't know that it was clear and obvious to to over override it. I don't know what you guys thought. Yeah, uh, again, I had the sound off, so I was wondering what the heck was going was going on. But um, I mean, it, it's 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 one of those things where at least it didn't change you know the outcome yes. of the game. I know because yeah. I thought Portland will come out in the second half and get back into it. And like, to be to be fair to them, they did. They were more into it in the second half. They looked a wee better side in the second half. And they had a few looks on goal. But Andre Blake, I mean, we, we talked about goalkeepers in good form. Andre Blake was excellent in this one. He had a couple of big saves, couple from Jeremy Abelbisi. Three clean sheets in a row now he's got, and so have Philly. Uh, they did get their third just past the hour mark when Jack Elliott pounced on a, a loose ball in the box after Cody Burke's header was saved, but dominant from Philly. I, I like watching them, and I, I keep I keep thinking that Philly are what the Whitecaps could be if... Run swoop better? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, all, like Also, like if MDS is given time, I know there's going to be folk listening to this now screaming... Uh, their their cars or their podcast apps or whatever, thinking, why would you want to give him more time? J- Jim Curtin was given a lot of time, and it, he's built things up in Philly. And I do believe that MDS could do that here. I just don't know that the patience is there anymore to, to allow that to happen. There's, there's an approach that says, yeah, in, in MLS, maybe more than other football leagues around the world, 
you need to it's better to have less turnover at the at the coaching position and allow a coach to really have a four or five year run to see what they can do um a couple of things about that one is the the the, the opposite the opposite of the spectrum on that is mls is a league and has shown as a league on multiple occasions that you can turn things around in one year mm-hmm. um the the problem is if, if you're willing to spend though you don't always that as well you, always a part you, of it, you but need like, a bit of luck in your hands and like yeah. momentum and stringing results together and yeah. like being hot at the right time yeah the problem the, pro- the other problem is 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 where mds is in, Ma- in vancouver the, the issues are more with the 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 uh the salary the willingness to spend on salaries right um, they've, they've shown some willingness to spend on transfer fees, but the willingness yeah. to spend on salaries right now is is lacking and is prohibitive for that kind of turnaround. And so that's where I feel like if he does get another year or two or three, it's hard to see anything else changing, really. I'm just glad that Philadelphia is finally making my 2018 to 2020 predictions true. <laughs> yeah, I, they're looking good. Although yeah. so in New England, but we'll, we'll come to the East in a sec. Like talking to managers in the hot seat and stuff, I had a look to see if there was any betting odds for what MLS manager might get fired next because they do that in England. Yeah. And I couldn't find any odds because I was wanting to put some money on Chicago's Raphael Wiki. I feel he's on a very short leash just now because they're playing terribly, uh, as we'll come to in a sec. But let, let's finish in the in the West. The last game of the weekend, 0-0, Seattle-Austin, wasn't a great game. I was impressed by Austin. Yeah. I I feared for them going into this. I would have thought 3-4-0 Seattle because Austin's looked tired the last couple of weeks. They've got this game and then one more game as their road games before they finally get to play a game at home. And I thought this isn't going to go well for them, but they had the better chances. Although Seattle did have the ball in the back of the net, Freddie Montero, who celebrated the birth of a, another little Montero this week, so congratulations to Freddie and family, put the ball in, was very emotional with it, but then VAR ruled it off for offside on Raul Rui Diaz. And we, we were talking about this, this beforehand, and we won't get too much into it, but I still don't know that the ball came off Rui Diaz, Zach feels it doesn't matter because he was in an offside position. I don't really know what the new rule makes it, but it's nice to see the Sounders get a goal disallowed, really. For real. I was so, so, I was ecstatic to see the goal called back. And I'm happy for, happy for Austin. Um, you know, Austin is a, as a footballing city is a, as a very mixed history to say the least. Um, but yeah, happy, happy for anyone to take, take, take points in Seattle. Or to take a point in Seattle, and yeah. I think it'll be good for their confidence too, as a as a side, as they continue to grow and, like you said, building up to that final uh, when they finally get to play in front of their uh, their their, their supporters. Yeah, the first that's going to be an absolutely amazing day. But I mean, there's, there's uh, two teams still unbeaten, and one of them Seattle. Yeah, I'm wondering if this could be the best day for the Whitecaps this season so far. I think it is. They didn't lose today, and they kept in touch with the playoff teams and around them. And, it was and their a good cascading weekend. and the cascading rivals lost. Yes, today too. So I, that, I think it was well, a it was actually a good weekend for a, the Whitecaps. Such a loss for the Sounders. Yeah. Well, the, Austin, Austin did have that one really good chance. Uh, I really thought yeah. they were really going to score. 
again, it was kind of it was kind of like Wando's where it kind of put it at the keeper. I mean, Seattle still have a five-point lead at the top over second place KC. They're one point ahead of the Galaxy. And then Vancouver, as I mentioned, two points back of the playoff places in 10th, but still very much in touch with, with those above them. Three points separating the eight teams from sixth to last. So any team that can string together a set of results will soon start to climb. Any team that doesn't is soon going to fall. Bit concerned about that, as I mentioned, for the Caps. Tough, tough schedule coming up, but we won't get into that just now. Let's move to the East. We'll, we'll start with the two Canadian teams. So Chicago nil, Montreal won. Montreal left it late to pick up all three points, but then they also nearly gave away a late goal to to even like drop two. But technology came in, gave them a little help in hand. I think they were maybe fortunate to get the win. I don't know that either side did deserve to, to win it, but they're not going to care a, a jot, Montreal. They they got that. They're going in with a spring in their step. They're now joint third in the East, technically fourth. There wasn't much to, to write home about, but Mason Toy popped up unmarked, headed home in the 87th minute. And for me, when you can grind out wins when you're not playing well, that's what gets you success in this league. And that's what makes you a playoff team, I feel. Yeah, also great for uh, Joel Waterman to be playing in a back three. Poor guy. Yeah, I was happy to see Joel get Um, that. He got got the second assist on on the goal. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you were talking about earlier about Raphael Wicke. Like you could see the excitement in him celebrating the goal of his team. And then you can only imagine how uh, gutted he was. I mean, Michael, was he was he in the team in 1994 when you saw them play, uh, Switzerland play? Honestly, don't know. I will look at that. Maybe he's not that old, but mm. he did well, play. Like, Chicago had 19 shots, but their big downfall in this is they were caught offside nine times, including the goal from Omsburg that got ruled out by VAR because it was offside in the build-up. They're playing... Like, funnily enough, playing against Montreal, they're playing like Piatti played because Piatti always played on the, the shoulder, the edge of the defender. To get caught nine times offside, though, in some really good positions is not good. The the other Canadian team, <laughs> Columbus 2, Toronto 1. And Columbus said farewell to what is now called the historic Crew Stadium. They did it in style, really. It's... This, this was one of those weird games, though. It was one of three games that took place during the Champions League final. Not sure what the television ratings would be for this one. Obviously, there was a good crowd at the stadium because it was a, the chance to say goodbye to the stadium. But that's disappointing. You, you would hope that they would have tried to schedule the game so it didn't clash. Yeah, it's weird. MLS keeps doing this and it, it makes no... It seems to like make no sense. Year after year, whether it's games during it or just before it or just after it like it it it, it feels a bit toned up yeah it's it's a very it was a very tough 90 minutes for Dwayne Rollins our friend <laughs> it was shame I like I'll, I'll be honest I I actually had this one on uh on the telly and I just put the Champions League on the laptop because watching two English teams battle it out in a tournament called Champions League when neither team were champions going into the competition, at least one of them is by the time they finished it, is a farce. But let's not start me off on that pet peeve of mine. Let's get back to this game. 
So Columbus, they were well up for this from the start. They took the lead in the 12th minute on a quick counter. Beautiful counter goal. The kind of goal you just dream of the Whitecaps getting. TFC had a corner. Luis Diaz just left TFC players trailing in his wake. But it wasn't only that impressive break. What a sublime finish. So cool tucking that away past Bono. Thought it was a great goal. Then Jizzy Zardis thought he doubled the lead when he had the ball in the net. Flagged mm-hmm. up for offside. But then he wasn't to be denied. He did get his first goal of the season to make it 2-0 in the 21st minute. Despite Alan Chapman looking at VAR. And we all know how much Alan Chapman loves his VAR. I don't really know what they were reviewing, to be yeah. honest. I, yeah. I was baffled by that. Yeah, it was, great, it was strange. Yeah, it was a great setup by Santos too on that mm-hmm. on the second goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was over. I thought they were home and dry, but not so quick. TFC, they, they looked dreadful. They were like Portland, as we talked about earlier. First 45 minutes in this, TFC were awful. And they looked like they were on the verge of a heavy defeat. I thought this could be four or five by the end of it. But they ended up pulling one back six minutes after the restart. When like Columbus just let Iowa Canola collect, uh, uh, rebound and go unchallenged it to fire home. Then... TFC brought on Pesuela for his first appearance of the season. I thought, man, they're going to snatch a point here because he brought a fresh spark to the team, but but they couldn't do it. Have to be curious what happens with that one because Armis is obviously well embedded in with the the front office at TFC. Could Josie be on on the move? Did you take him here to partner Cava? It's a strange one. It's really really weird. yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that situation plays out. And I think Toronto FC is going to be very interesting to watch for everyone in Canada who doesn't, is they aren't their team of choice. I think they're going to be interesting to watch uh, this this season. Just some other quick notes from the East. From, from me, uh, Orlando, they lost their unbeaten record. They fell 2-1 to, to the Red Bulls. Home side second was my goal of the weekend. It was the free kick from Christian Caceres. And that was beautiful because it curled right into the, the inside side netting. That was just I, spectacular for me. I blocked it out because it was a dead ball goal. So I didn't even know which one you were talking about. <laughs> uh, New England, they're still top of the East. They're three points clear of second placed Philly. Then five clear of Orlando and third. They were made to work hard against Cincinnati. They had yep. 26 shots, but it took one goal, a 78th minute header from uh, Adam Buxa to, to win it for him. They did hit the woodwork twice. Though. Was that from a that was from a corner or, or set piece on the it side? It was a set piece. I can't remember if it was corner or free kick. Uh, Atlanta looked like they were going to move into a share a second at one point because they were yeah. coasting two goals up with 10 minutes to play at home against unbeaten Nashville. But then, then they got Mukhtard. Oh, yeah. Totally Mukhtard. Two goals in three minutes gave Nashville a share of the points. They could have won it as well. Dominique Badgey was in and goal, but Guzman brought out a big save. Nashville don't play pretty football, but they get those results. Yeah, and then when they you get Mukhtard, you get Mukhtard hard sometimes. <laughs> a- anything else stand out for you, Steve, in the East? Nothing uh, nothing at all that much. Um, no, it wasn't, uh, wasn't a very exciting weekend. No, not even on the Eastern side. Like The one result that, you know, was devastating for my predictions. Yes, I was going to bring it up. <laughs> Miami looked. I, that, I think next time I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to the East before I make predictions. Um, yes, but DC United just throttled Inter Miami, and that wasn't the worst part of their week. 
No. Yeah, we'll come to that in a sec. We'll just finish by saying in the East, there's three points separating the eight teams from third to tenth. So like the West, it looks like a few run results will push you up or drop you down. Unlike the West, though, Chicago and Cincinnati are kind of starting to get cut adrift at the bottom. TFC are down their third bottom, but you still feel they're, they've got the personnel to turn that around. Not so sure now. Mm, I know. Some of them are training on their own. But let's get to Miami. Let's finish this bit with the big off-the-field news. Hitting Steve's beloved Miami hard here. It's the prediction. <laughs> Yeah, but Stun- we, 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 know fine. The, we know the golden balls and the Neville. Oh, the yeah, that's the man you connection. Uh, honestly, honestly, when I made that prediction, I forgot that he actually owned the team. I didn't even realize And that's you love flamingos as well, I hear. So. That's, that's the, probably the time. But yeah, Miami, a stunning punishment for transfer irregularities. And I've got to say, well done, MLS, for doing this because I didn't think they would because it's Beckham's team. Yeah, I I thought they would kind of just sweep it under the rug. Yeah, do a kind of token slap on the wrist, a fine that didn't mean much. But I I think this is massive. It's it's a two million dollar fine, which is the the most in MLS history. And for for anyone that doesn't know, it's for transfer irregularities. They signed midfielder Blaise Matudi. Uh, it didn't comply with the league's salary budget and roster guidelines. Investigations found violations with other players uh, as well. Underreporting of salary budget amounts for some of the players. Um, The players weren't aware of any of the violations, understandably, because they don't know MLS rules. But along with a $2 million fine, MLS levied a reduction in allocation money of about two point three million spread out over next season and the season after, that's, which that's the twelve percent of Miami's budget. That's that's the biggest hit right there. The the allocation money. Oh yeah, but here's here's the other. I mean, it's it's even bigger because we haven't. I don't know if we've talked about this in great detail, but my, how it works is when you're a new team to the league, um, like Miami was last year, you get uh, a whole bunch of extra allocation money. Yes. And supposedly, what I understand is that goes on a declining scale for three years that way. So that's why Atlanta was able to do some of the things they were doing. They did, you know, so so well so early. Um, was they used all that all the money they had, and now that's run out for them. And so maybe you see some of the effects in their roster. Yeah, building. and like but, if you've lost twelve percent of your budget, that's a yeah. lot. So, so Miami, so Miami last year was their big year. This year is the middle year. Yeah. So next year on the lower year, they're losing a bunch. But they still might, I don't know the exact number, but they it wouldn't be the same as if it was a normal year. But the year after that, that's going to be a normal year where they're not getting extra new team expansion. I hate that word, but expansion team money, uh, general allocation money. That's going to eat into their salary budget in an even bigger way. My one question is, have they... Did they ever become compliant? Because didn't they have the four DPs? Yeah, they, they sent one down to USL. Which one was that? I, the, young, the youngest the youngest one. one. Okay. I can't remember who he was now off the top of my head. I think it begins with a P. Took, that's what I was thinking too. I think he took Shea's spot on the USL team? <laughs> yeah. But as well as these fines, the managing owner, Jorge Mas, was fined 250000 And whew, former COO, who was the COO at the time and sporting director, Paul McDonough, 
He has been banned by MLS to the end of the 2022 season, which has cost him his vice president of soccer operations job at Atlanta. But an interesting question. I heard this raised on the broadcast tonight, and then it got me thinking, very good point. How did MLS become aware of this? Who was the whistleblower? How did they find out that this even happened? So that's an interesting one as well. Well, I mean, what I know of the world of MLS is it's, for lack of a better term, very incestuous. And everyone knows everyone else's business. They all talk. And so I don't think you... And as much as uh, maybe things don't appear um, transparent, when you're on the inside, you you know. You, you find out and you know what other teams are doing and what it costs and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think this was rocket science for people in the know in terms of numbers adding up and making sense when you look at things like... Um, you know, tr- the transfers and, and salary stuff. I know maybe that's a little awkward because last year we didn't get the salary, the, the full salary numbers or whatever. So I don't know how that, play, how that played into things. But to me, it's not, it's not really shocking that it, it would not be shocking to come to know that a number of people knew this and, and one of them spoke about it and someone re- like one of those people reported it kind of thing. Imagine if White Caps one year went bottom of salaries. That would raise a few questions. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that is it for our MLS chat. Hope you've enjoyed it. We really enjoy going over that. I, I, I've said before, it kind of feels me. It makes me feel a little bit more connected to the league and actually paying a, a lot more attention to it than in some previous years. Maybe it's just because the Whitecaps aren't fun to watch at times. But we've still got one more part to go. We're going to be turning our attention to the international stage next, Canada. They're going to be in World Cup qualifying action and we're going to be back talking about that and hearing from head coach John Herdman after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Cavallini. You're listening to the AFD Soccer Show. Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part is the last song from our Artist of the Month for me, Adam and the Ants, from 1980, Kings of the Wild Frontier album, the opening song, Dog Eat Dog. And I, I think we can say MLS, if you look at the East and the West, it's certainly dog-eat-dog dog just now by the, by the looks of, of how things are playing out. And I think it's going to be dog-eat-dog dog in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying as well, especially in the octagon, to see who makes it to Qatar 2022. And Canada are back on their road to Qatar this week. Game coming up on Saturday against Aruba. Followed very quick turnaround on Tuesday with a game against Suriname. We're going to look at that in this part. We're going to hear from head coach John Herdman as well. But the squad was announced on Saturday morning for what is hopefully going to be four 
World Cup qualifiers because if Canada get through these two games, they should be playing probably Haiti in a do-or-die double-legged playoff later in June for a place in the octagon. Now, the squad, guys, it's it's an experienced squad. It's a strong squad. There's some absences for, for injuries, for fatigue, other personal choices. Only one white cap called up, as we, we touched on, Lucas Cavallini. That in part because Max Cripo's wife's uh, about to give birth very soon, so he's been excused from this squad. Mm-hmm. Noah Tiba Hutchison, who is still trying to kind of manage his his body and injuries and stuff like that. No Scotty Arfield, who John Herman says may return to the fold in the autumn, but after having a season where he's been beat up with injuries and playing a lot in European competitions and the Rangers. He he didn't want to commit just now. I've made my thoughts on that known before. We won't get into that just now. A string of players in the squad, though, that, that's won championships over in Europe, cups over in Europe. It's a very strong squad. It's a very good-looking squad. What What's your thoughts on it, guys? I, I guess the biggest concern is maybe the inexperienced side of the defence, especially central defenders. We seem a little bit weak there. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that is the weak spot uh, for Canada, right? Centre-back, it's that's where there's a, a lot of room to a lot of room to grow. I, that's why I was surprised Cornelius didn't make it in, just because he's experienced, he's played with these guys. And I think the two guys that have come in instead are probably better players, but they haven't played together as a unit. I think there's only one pairing that's played one game together as a unit, but at least you've got a game against Aruba coming up to kind of find your foot in, but should be a comfortable win. Yeah, and the thing is, is is all depending on how much they rotate as well. If they feel like uh, Vittoria and uh, Henry could go each game, then there probably is not that big of an issue. Uh, but if there's a rotation, then you're kind of concerned. Maybe you keep one of the veterans on and, and play a young guy, but don't have both of them off. Midfield, I have no issues with at all. Um, even though there are some people missing, they have enough there uh, to win in these games. And the attacking... We've said it multiple times before. This is the golden age for what Canada attackers. Like, I don't know oh, if yeah. we're ever, we probably will see like stuff like this in the future, but I can't remember the last time where I've seen this, like, like not ability to score, but pure talent. Um, and, and, and too deep too, as well. It's not just like one deep. The, the one player I am interested in at the back, actually, I don't know if he's going to get any, you see the field even is Scott Kennedy. Uh, yes, he, he plays at Jan Regensburg in in Bavaria in the second Bundesliga, and um, I've never watched him play, um, but I would like to see. I really like to see uh, what he's made of. And um, I, yeah. I could see him possibly getting a run out late in that Aruba game if there are a good few goals up and just kind of coasting. That's when you want to rest some guys as well because the game's coming up just three days later against Suriname, which is the tougher of the two. And also the just the chance to get a look at these guys in an actual international scenario. And, and the thing is with him is he's been in Germany since he was eighteen. Like he uh, he he basically played his youth career here, and I think probably as soon as he was done high school, he moved on to like Europe. And I think he signed in Germany right away. 
So he's yeah, basically he's been in Germany, Germany for six or eight years mm-hmm. with different levels of teams. He, he's a left-footed center back who can also play left back or, or potentially in, in midfield if you really needed it. But, yeah, he's played in Austria a little bit as well. But, um, yeah, he's worked his way up in, 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 in Germany. And, um, yeah, it, I'm, I'm going to keep a closer eye on him next year in the, the second Bundesliga for sure. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that would be the. I think he's the, he, like you said, is probably the most unknown player. Obviously, I'm not familiar with Frank Sturring either too much. Um, but everybody else we've seen, the guy who I want to see again is uh, Theo Cor- Corbino, uh, yeah. uh, from Wolves. Uh, see what he can do. I don't know. Like, again, I don't know where he's going to play because they're a stack. You got uh, Tayon Buchanan, Cavallini, Davies, David, Hoylat, Laren, Miller. Like I get he could be one of the subs that just gets a, a bit of a run out yeah. uh, 15-20 against Aruba or something. I, I know you guys were sort of talking about this a moment ago, but who's is it is it Henry and Vic, Victoria that are starting at center back? Do you think that, like there, there would be the, they they're they're the veterans, yeah. They're the incumbents, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, what are some of our thoughts on the on the squad and the matches coming up? Let's hear a little bit now from the man in charge, John Herdman, just chatting about his squad selection what he's expecting from these games and a couple of other things as well. I just want to ask you, this looks like a, a, a pretty strong squad coming in here. I just want to ask you about the strength of the squad that you've put together and maybe a little thought on, on the opponents you're facing in these two games here. Yeah, it's a, it's a strong squad. There's faces there that you would like to have had some pieces of the puzzle that either through injury or just where they're at in their careers after long seasons um, you know we haven't been able to, to bring them in but talking about the guys that are committed and, and focused it is it's an exciting group I think we've got you know that flair we've got pace we've got power um, We've got experience in in key parts of the field with Boyan and Net. Yeah, I think we've we, we've got a good balance across this team. And again, we've we've got a young group. Um, the experience, I think, if you look at the caps, some will think you know maybe lacking that sort of experience. But I think these games are what this team needs. It's it's that growth in Concacaf together. So I'm excited to to bring it. And unleash it in these two matches. I think uh, when when the fans are able to watch this team now, it, it's something they really look forward to. I think they know we have a, an ability to attack um, in ways that we never used to. And yeah, it's it, it's certainly going to be uh, tough selecting squads, that's for sure. But at the same time, you've got that depth, and we've got four matches potentially here. Uh, and Canada will need depth across four games when you've got two game turnarounds, uh, sorry, two day turnarounds, travel to to different countries in CONCACAF, different conditions from heat to a temperate climate. There's, yeah, there's a lot to factor in here. So again, uh, excited for that depth and, and really excited to unleash it in, in these matches. And on the opponents, uh, look, the opponents... Uh, as I've said, it's one game at a time. <clears throat> Each opponent offers you something very different. Uh, Ruba, uh, certainly a, a different team to what they were in March. Their squad is, uh, has strengthened since March. I think they were hit by COVID. So the team that we're, we're looking at is a one similar to 
you know, a team that was able to hold Jamaica to 2-1. You know, it's a, it's not a, an 11-12-0 Cayman Island game. That's, that's for sure. And then you're playing that in now the Florida Heat. And the guys will have a few days to adapt to that. And that's the context of that match. It's a game, you know, I'll encourage the, the players to be ruthless in, uh, to really uh, create a, a mentality around setting the tone for this, for this campaign as we did in March, and to continue on with that work. And then we have two days, two days to turn around to Suriname, who is a really tough opponent. Again, if you'd asked me 11 months ago, we, we had a good group. We had one of the better groups. Bermuda was the toughest team in the group. Um, and Suriname are a completely different team now. They're a top, top six to top eight team in CONCACAF in terms of the quality of players. So I don't think anyone had predicted that in nine months they'd have 15 new players, all who've played at the highest levels in the Eredivisie. Um, and I think with their team, it's not about where they're at now; it's about where they've been as players. They're, they're uh, uh, I don't want to really use the word journeyman, so I'm going to use experienced guys that have seen a lot in football. So that brings a, a new and exciting challenge to the group because I think you guys have said it, the fans have said it. If we want to compete in 2022, we gotta we gotta play teams. We gotta test ourselves. We we we've got to be tested. Uh, you know that that defense has got to be really tested. Our front five have got to be able to support that defense to ensure that we can um, you know grind out those clean sheets in big games. So I think there's there's some real opportunity in in both matches. And as I've said with the Suriname game. You know, that's, that's a tricky one. They will get an extra day's rest, um, which means that brings some complexity, Derek, to your, your squad management. So you'll have a game on Saturday. They'll play Friday. They'll be in recovery mode and we're, we're resetting for Tuesday. So you really have got to manage that group carefully so you, you're able to, you know, appear in that game fresh as they'll be fresh. So... Yeah, some things to think about, that's that's for sure. And a few sleepless nights on how to, to bring this together. And we haven't even talked about the next stage of the planning, which, uh, yeah, which has given us a few grey hairs. But again, it's these are just exciting challenges for our group. And, and we have to be tested. You know, obviously, there's a lot of Canadians who are coming off very successful seasons, whether it's Alfonso, Jonathan, Kyle. They're all, you know, coming off championship success in Europe. I'm just wondering, I mean, what have you made of this sort of unprecedented sort of success that Canadians are enjoying in Europe? And how, how do you transfer that success at club level to national team level? Yeah, I think there's uh, a, a reality check for, for Canada. You know, I think in the last eight, ten years, the work that has been done in our system, and I'm not saying from Canada soccer, I think we're, I've said this all along, we're part of the, the puzzle that's Canada. But a lot of people have done a lot of good work across the, the country, the communities in football to firstly help these young, gifted athletes fall in love with football and stay in love with football, and then to help them progress on a journey. It's been a very non-linear path for these players. There's not one way in Canada to find your way to those top levels. But I think the, the reality is, you know, our system does produce good players and we produce players now that are performing at the highest levels in the world so 
I think it's there's more to come as you can see what we're seeing in the, in the depth charts and we have Canadians popping up that have left the country at a young age, um, whether it's you know young Diaz or or, or Flores or other Canadians that that may start pushing this next level. So it's exciting, and and I think when you look at the the unprecedented nature, I mean you, the spotlight is on the Canadian flag and and it's on our football nation now, and and I think these men you know, collectively have to step forward and, and carry that flag at the, at the heights they are at club level. And, and I think this generation of players can be that generation that takes this game to the next level. You know, we've been working with these men, some of them for four years in this system, in this programme, some of them for longer. But it is their time now. They, they can be that group of guys that, that made the difference and took it to the next level. So that's, that's part of, you know, what we're driving here, John, and it's been part of the process since 2018 to, you know, take, take the, the culture, you know, to that next level, take the commitment from players to that next level, and then take the understanding of what these men bring on the field to the next level so that chemistry can start to really unfold in big moments. And when I talk about that, it, it, it's the simplicity of, you know, we've only worked together for six training sessions in 16 months as a, as a collective group. Again, some of these players won't even have met each other. We'll have another four to five sessions before we play Aruba and Suriname. So that's 10 sessions in two years. So I think when you think about getting the best out of them, number one was giving them a little bit of time to recover after long seasons. This has been a brutal season for many of these players, letting them have that time as a dad or a, or a partner or a husband. And uh, they've had a little bit of a break to, to re-energize, refocus, and then to come in and, and take care of business. And that means for us, it's understanding <clears throat> what their skill sets are at club, how they've been utilized at club, some of the habits, and learnings that we've we've seen in their club settings because you know these these camps now there's not a massive influence you can have on a number of training sessions under pressure and fatigue players are going to come back to habits and again we've got to set up the team in that way to to really capitalize the question at the beginning of you know how you get the best out of Johnny and Kyle you know those those questions are you know you can reveal some of that in their club settings and and how you need to use them. And I think on that side, we've also got to take into regard, you know, what we've been able to do in March. And number one was to put ourselves in a position of control. And, and that was, uh, you know, a big moment to, one, beat Bermuda, and, and two, you know, dominate uh, Cayman to create that goal difference to put us in, in a driving seat. And that's, uh, that was important, as I said to the players, Back in March, you know, there's a real opportunity to control your destiny in June. So all of these factors are, are going to have to play into the decision-making coming across these two games alongside, as I say, the, the two-day turnarounds, the heats, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, bringing the best out of them is like a, it's a jigsaw puzzle that like you've got to piece together. It won't be perfect, um, just given the context of, of how this is all unfolding. You know, Sam Adekube is a great example. We didn't know until yesterday that he was going to be released. 
due to the Norwegian quarantine. Um, and, and again, we had another player pull out yesterday due to injury. So the, the, there's a lot of factors that are coming into play. You can set your plans up, which we've been working on for the last, you know, six weeks tactically. And, you know, things are changing. And one guy wasn't in your plans because the quarantine rule hadn't changed. And then we get a break. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a complex process. But as you can see, we, we are working hard behind the scenes to make this happy, happen for our country. And, you know, the players, uh, I think John are fully committed. The last time you had the guys together, a lot of them hadn't kicked a ball in anger in months. Now it's the opposite. There's been a lot of games coming thick and fast. These guys have played a, a lot of football. You touched on the, the fatigue aspect of everything there. How concerned are you by the fatigue? And kind of tied in with that, how different do you feel the Gold Cup squad is going to look compared to the squad that's been announced today? Yeah, I think the the, the fatigue element is is there, but I, I I do think those guys that have have had a long season, just given them that that break period, I've I've seen teams that have have came together pretty quickly, um, and and maybe got three days head start on us, maybe four, Nicaragua, etc. Centralized very quickly, um, but for our guys, it's yeah, they, they the the toll of of going back to back cup matches. Like that, there's an emotional <laughs> drain on you in in that sense. Plus the the sort of seasons that you have, like th these guys are humans. At, at the end of the day, they're pretty normal people that get asked to do abnormal things under the pressures that they deal with. So I always feel that um, you know you got to treat people like people. We are people, and uh, give them that break so they they can get the balance right with their loved ones, the kids before being able to reset and look forward to come in, not, not feeling like it's a burden. So I, th I think physically they're, they're machines. Some of them are always carrying things like no one's ever a hundred percent physically. It's more the emotional mental burden that, um, that, that builds up. And I think just giving them that, that seven, eight days to, to release has, has been important. So I'm, I'm not too worried about that, Michael. I think the accumulative fatigue over four days, um, in the conditions that some of them aren't used to playing. It is always going to be a challenge, hence, you know, why we chose Chicago as a, as a temperate climate um, to make sure tactically we didn't have to adjust too much to the, uh, the environmental conditions. So I think that's not too worried there either. And we've got good depth in our squad. So I think we can rotate in some key positions and, and not lose too much quality. And then coming to the Gold Cup, I think just one step at a time. I mean, we've got a group of staff that are working behind the scenes on the Gold Cup. I've got some of my technical staff that are completely focused on building the, the squad, the tactical blueprint, the scouting, the programming for that concomitantly with this event. And players, players are players. They, uh, they want to compete. They want to be part of everything. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys, like, they love playing for their country. And, you know, I think for all of us, I've said this right at the start, I, I don't ever want to see that, that jersey being in a position where, you know, the best players aren't representing their country. You know, we, we, we should always be pushing for that as a, as a starting and finishing point, you know, and, and 
the best players deserve that opportunity. And it's those players that will be offered the opportunity. And then it comes down to just little factors like, you know, has somebody got a new club with a new coach and they're demanded to come into to pre-season and, and that reality check. And then the reality of the octagon starting in September as well with only a three-week turnaround after a month-long Gold Cup. So there are factors, but, you know, from what I, what I sense is and the conversations I've had in the pre-planning, you know, our, our key players are, are really keen to be part of this. And then it's going to come down to some sort of individual factors, how they come through this extended FIFA window, do they come through, you know, emotionally and mentally in the right place and on a high, or do they come through broken, either physically or mentally? And and I think those things will impact the decisions. It's a it's a really complicated uh, time in, in I think an unprecedented time in in our football realities. We we haven't experienced this sort of World Cup qualification backing onto a Gold Cup with an extended June window. But the good news about the Gold Cup, it is a mandated FIFA window. And normally we're fighting with it not being that mandate. And uh, a lot of players aren't able to be released or the clubs have the, the sort of trump card in saying it's not a FIFA window. So we could be in a much better place than um, what I've seen people sort of projecting, which is it could be some kind of development squad going in. Obviously, some teams in the region have been unveiling bigger squads with, you know, potential long season, et cetera, et cetera. Was that something you considered when uh, calling up the squad? And if there were, knock on wood, any sort of injuries to happen, would those training reinforcements you mentioned be possibilities to join the squad for games, knowing that you might play for this window? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of the planning, one, to, to keep a group of players um, connected to our playing models as well as our culture and also to assess a group of players for the Gold Cup as well. Guys we want to get to know a little bit more. Um, and some players aren't available to come in for that training release. I mean, you've alluded to emotionality, uh, time away from home. Some guys have been living in the USA, haven't seen their families for a long time and using this window to reconnect. So, you know, even the training squad that we'll We'll outline a little bit later next week. We'll get through this MLS weekend. Um, yeah, you'll see some names there that you know are obvious names, and then names are, of guys that are are going to be supporting the team uh, to to be prepared. So you're right in saying that um, we will take a 24 man roster, as you've seen. But the challenge with extending those rosters is you end up with you know th three, four, five guys that are undressing um, and non-dressing, and that's uh, if you've ever been in that situation as a player when you're that guy that gets told to uh, sit in his tracksuit and sit in the stands. That's not a nice feeling over <laughs> over a 14-day period of time. So again, we'll we'll keep these players um, on the bubble and motivated and and part of what we do. But, you know, typically we'll travel, as most teams do, with a 23-24-man a roster, in this case. And I wear it for my lady, the Canadian flag, baby!
So John Herdman there just talking about the squad for these upcoming World Cup qualifiers. So, I mean, I asked him there about the, the fear of fatigue because when he had these group of players together in March, a lot of them hadn't played much football. Now the games have been coming thick and fast for a lot of these guys. It, it could be a danger of burnout. I asked him about if he, if the Gold Cup squad is going to be maybe very different to this. And he didn't indicate that it would be that different. He said it's not going to be the development squad that a lot of folk have talked about because it turns out the Gold Cup is in a FIFA window this year. So they can, if they want, get this group of players for the Gold Cup. I'm pretty sure, though, that there'll be some agreements with some of the top clubs that they won't use the guys for, for the Gold Cup. But do you have any fear... I mean, against Aruba, it should be a pretty straightforward, but like Suriname, Herdman's talked about that with additions they made, he feels that they're, they could be the sixth to eighth ranked team in CONCACAF, which I, I, I don't necessarily agree with. Top 10, yeah, I don't think as high as, as six to eight, because a lot of these guys, yeah, they've got experience in the Dutch leagues, but they've not played together in an international setting together as a unit, and a lot of them are a bit older as well, but they're definitely going to be a test. They'll be a day fresher because they don't play on Friday. Do you have any concerns about fatigue? Or is it a case that if we want Canada to do anything and get to the World Cup, these games we shouldn't even be considering, is this a test? Your last statement is correct, Michael, but I think the, the them having not played together can be a negative for them, but also... No one's been able to watch them play together. So pairing is a maybe tricky. I don't know. Um, but again, Canada just needs to get through these games. Canada needs to win these games. These need these, Canada's at a place right now where these games need not to worry people the way they maybe did 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, that doesn't mean they won't worry people. But um, I, I, I have a slight worry about Haiti still, I've got to say. Oh, yeah. The Haiti, well, the hate ball. The Haiti game, I have worry because of there's actually recent history yeah. with Haiti. But when it comes to Aruba and Suriname, I'm not saying they're, I'm, again, I'm not saying they're cakewalks or pushovers or whatever. Well, but Aruba Canada should be. needs to see them off. Like they need to be just clinical and see them off. Yeah. In terms of, if I can just address what you said about the Gold Cup, and this is, uh, and I don't know if I've said this as we've talked about Canada before, and this is contrary to my, uh, my overall approach, which should be you should try and win everything. Um, however, however, when it comes to the gold cup versus, uh, balancing out, you know, uh, what's the term that everyone uses now, uh, in sports, uh, load, the load of the mm -hmm. players, the whatever, uh, I would, um, I would be okay with them, not, you know, not, not using, uh, the best players possible in the gold cup. And I know that's in contrary to what I've said in the past, I hold my hand up. I recognize that, but when you see, um, but it's, it's a year like no other. Oh, well, it's a year like no other with the qualifying, but it's also a year like no other for these footballers. I mean, you yeah. look at Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David. Uh, well, I think maybe especially with Alfonso Davies, he, he's, he's been playing since like last August nonstop. I mean, he yes. had three, two weeks or three weeks break at Christmas, but he's been playing nonstop since then. Right? That, that, that's the impact the, it had on his team in, in Europe this year. So like, yeah. They, and also their, their coach did, disappointed them as well. The team yeah only won one trophy terrible yeah it was but the, the thing steve is it's not even just physical fatigue it's like mental fatigue as well because with a lot of these guys 
they've gone through the highs of winning championships and stuff as well. So that has a mental exhaustion on you, and it, it does take its toll. Yeah, they they do need a summer off because we want these guys fully fit and sharp mentally, physically, every aspect possible for hopefully the octagon starting later this year. Yeah, the the the, the all, for first time in a long time, and and maybe this is. Uh... Um, the fact that they they're the gold cup is just coming on too regularly uh, for me it should be every four years it should yeah. not be every two years I agree um, and uh, the the gold cup at this point has lost its luster even though it you know the Canada has never won it for ages what it's been 20 years over 20 years or whatever it is but they they haven't won it in so long even with that it's kind of lost its luster because it's all they do is the same thing they play it in America. Yeah, it's always America and Mexico in the finals. They always seem to arrange it that way. It seems I don't know if they're arranging it, but whatever the case, it always seems. Like it. So, and the fact that the uh, their ability to get into the if they get past Haiti, their ability to perform in the octagon, whether it's uh, um, whether it's succeeding in going to the World Cup or just putting in an effort where it, there's something to play for in the level those for the last few games. That's hugely important because they're trying to. Do, this is a program that's trying to build. It's not a program that's f- fully finished or anything like that. It never will be finished, but they're trying to build it to where there is some respectability in the world. Absolutely. Well, I mean, hopefully, it's a case of the Canada's more like MMA in the octagon and not MIA in the octagon later in the year. But that's it for our Canada chat. We'll we'll have more obviously next weekend in the show. I don't know if we'll bring a show out on Sunday or if we might wait until Tuesday after the Suriname game and, and maybe do do that. And that's nearly it for the show. But just before we do that, it's time for Wavelength. And all month I've been playing songs about footballers, so we're going to round that off now with a song from the mid-90s, a band that we've played many times on the show from Norwich, England, Halftime Oranges. This is from their first album, Clive Baker Set Fire To Me. And this is Blues for John Gidman. Excuse me, mate, but what exactly are you doing out there? I pay good money towards you, and I expect some movement. You've been wandering around the same five yards for the last half hour, gonna do something, cause this just isn't on, it's a bloody disgrace. So just a minute, it's time to quit it. So just a minute, your past did you open it? So just a minute, it's time to quit it. So just a minute, your past did you open it? Well, I see you at this ground last year. Will you be big for the team next season?
Half Time Orange is there, Blues for John Gidman, sentiment of that song I think many of us can relate to with the Whitecaps, with our other teams. You sign a player that's done well elsewhere, but his best days are behind him and it doesn't seem that he gives us all for, for his new team and he's lost a bit of the flair and the spark that you were expecting. Happens a lot, unfortunately. Especially when you follow lower league teams like I do. But that is it for this week's show. Just before we go though, guys, let everyone know where they can find you online and any final thoughts and anything that you've learned this week. Let's start with Steve. Well, I've learned that plastic is not good on the uh, in the ocean or on the soccer pitch in Champions League. Um, and um, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. Uh, for me, you can find me at uh, on, on Twitter at Zachary AM. And like I tweeted uh, uh, yeah, on Saturday, uh, this was a truly, uh, we exper- experienced this week truly a Manchester double that the entire world can enjoy. Yes. I, well, I, I'm, I think I, I'm, absolutely. I will say one thing. I'm happy they did not win um, in uh, for United. Um, because I don't want these owners to win anything until the, oh, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't want Manchester United to win anything until uh, these owners are gone. And actually, I, I tip of my hat to Villarreal. L- lovely, yeah. lovely first, story. Great club, and you just saw what it meant to them. First I, continental final, right? First European final. Yes, and they they win it. I, I'll, I'll, during that when Chelsea won, I kept expecting John Terry to suddenly run on the pitch in full kit and like lift the trophy, but I was disappointed that never happened. Um, I tweeted at Callum Irving uh, after the United shootout, the hashtag for him from back in the day, better than De Gea. Oh, let's just talk about that shootout. They were some good penalties. It's oh. like, that was a good shootout. Yes. I would have liked to have gone round twice. That would have been even better. Anyway, let's let's finish the show. I'm Michael McCall. You can follow me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN ca and subscribe to our youtube channel aft in canada watch our first episode of our new game show pulled off at halftime it was a lot of fun recording it you can play along at home we want your feedback we want more eyeballs than, than we've had so far it's been a nice weekend folks got better things to do but share it with your friends get some folk to watch it we've got some big plans for this show but only if folk are going to be watching it otherwise What's the point? Well, we had a lot of fun. So maybe we will still do Who cares? But anyway, we will be back soon. Until then, thanks for listening. As always, and take care, stay safe, and mourn the caps, and allez le rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
Et...